1: Safely touching down on the Martian surface in our relentless quest to explore the unknown. This is Behind the box, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris.
2: I'm Luke.
3: I'm Lindsay.
2: And I am Kyle.
1: <laughs> and on today's radio podcast, our interview with Hijinx Captain Jen Herkenroder.
3: We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots in Outer Space. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Castbox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Behind the Bots. And if you like our show, tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Or tune in to Radio AM 880.
0: Before we get to the show, I want to remind you that this is the last week to enter our big giveaway for a brand new Viper Combat Robotics Kit with the Vertical Spinner add-on from our friends at Fingertech Robotics. Fingertech has upgraded both its vertical and horizontal spinner attachments. The Vertical Spinner now features a clamping drum design made with AR400 teeth. And the horizontal spinner now comes with a titanium blade and stronger weapon mount. Both spinners are now powered by a custom brushless weapon motor with four millimeter shaft. Check out details about how to enter on our Facebook page and get your entries in by Sunday, February 28th. We'll draw a winner live on this podcast next week. Time now for yet another round of snap decisions where we make ill-informed predictions about this week's matches and score them against your ill-informed predictions. Last week, we switched up the format of Snap Decisions and instead asked you to send in complete championship brackets with the winner of a perfect championship bracket winning a BattleBots Hexbug of their choice. 28 people sent in completed brackets. Unfortunately, every single one of us called at least one match incorrectly on Thursday, so our bank accounts live to see another day, you guys. Uh, We will not be sending out a Hexbug. Or, you know, actually, I was thinking about it. Maybe we should send out a couple Hexbugs. bugs but we'll maybe draw randomly or maybe we'll switch it up. Maybe it'll be who could predict the giant nut winner. Do do you have thoughts on like how we might be able to repurpose this? I I feel bad that 28 of us that have now lost out on a, on a hex bug of our choice.
2: Could we do it in like percentage of correctness? Ooh, I like that. Okay. I mean like everybody, everybody gets into the drawing that's at this percentage of correctness. Oh, and then we draw it out from there.
1: We're going to grade on a curve.
2: Yes, we'll grade on a curve. <laughs>
0: yeah, so like uh, somebody got eighty percent of the matches correct. Is that is that right? Something <laughs> like that. Okay.
3: You have um, one senior participation trophies.
0: <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, however, taking a closer look at the data. The sure shots last week were Valkyrie versus Sub-Zero and Hydra versus Hypershock with 28 out of 28 people correctly predicting that Valkyrie and Hydra would win. The biggest upset was Ribot versus Beta with just 12 people correctly predicting that Ribot would win. All right, let's run through this week's round of 32 matches. We are closing out the round of 32. Uh, I can't wait to hear your predictions Let's go quickly here, uh, <laughs> uh, because I'm I'm so worried that this is going to be a three-hour episode. Um, so, Kyle, if it's possible, quickly, your prediction for Bloodsport versus Gruff. Bloodsport's coming in at number two. Gruff is coming in at number thirty-one.
2: Bloodsport. Why? Bloodsport. Yes. Uh, why? Because Gruff uh, did not come in as a as armored. As they once did, uh, because they wanted to add things like a second flamethrower, and I think that that is going to uh, bite them in this fight.
0: Mm, okay, Chris, your prediction. Uh, I'm gonna go with Bloodsport. Okay, Bloodsport, frenzy.
3: Uh, Bloodsport. That blade is gonna make them too quick for that fire to really do any damage before it gets damage done to it.
0: All right, and I'm also going to go with Justin Marple and Bloodsport. Okay, on over to number 15, Fusion, versus number 18, Tantrum. A little bit harder to call here. Kyle, your thoughts?
2: Is it going to be Fusion? It's going to be a close fight. It's going to be a good fight, but Fusion's working now. It's hitting hard. It's hitting real hard, and it's just got more weapons in the tank. You know what I mean? Mm, Okay.
1: Chris, Lindsey, your prediction? I'm actually we, we we've seen that dense little bot tantrum really perform well this season. I I I I think I'm gonna break away from the herd and, and I'll go I'm gonna go with tantrum. Okay. I'm not Wait. a herd, Chris. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, are you gonna go with fusion or tantrum?
3: <laughs> um uh, No, I'm gonna you know what, I'm going to say Tantrum. I think that they are going to um, outlast Fusion. Okay.
0: Um, I'm also going to go with Tantrum, just based on the reliability of that bot. We've seen really good reliability, um, except for that that one kind of weird match right at the beginning. Um, they really haven't had any major missteps. I still have reservations about Fusion's design, even though we've seen a couple of wins. Um, and I think that tantrum's reliability is going to win out. All right. On over to Sablaze coming in at number seven versus Kraken at number twenty six. Two incredibly durable robots who have been having amazing seasons. Kyle, your prediction
2: here. Is gonna go to Sablaze. But I think Kraken's gonna get a bite in and they're gonna have a great showing for their last match of the uh, of the actual BattleBots tournament.
0: Hmm. Okay. Chris, Lindsay? I second that. All right. Lindsay, are you going to uh, lead the Sabe's into uh, the victory here with Sables?
3: Yes, yes, I am, and I believe it will go all three minutes. Oh wow. Okay. Cause you can't, you can't knock Kraken out. It's just not possible.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, I'm going to also say Sawblaze. I think that Kraken's top armor is going to survive um, hits from the hammer saw. But I think you're right. I think that that tough little reliable robot is uh, is going to go the distance. Okay, on over to Scorpios coming at number 10 versus Witch Doctor coming in at 23. Uh, Kyle, your prediction. Ugh.
2: This is a hard one. Uh, I think it's going to be The Witch Doctor. Okay. I don't really have a reason for thinking that. Just just that, you know, spinners are easy mode, and they'll have more opportunities to get hits in. But uh, that that's really the only thing. I, I could very easily be wrong. Two great bots.
0: Yeah, two great bots. Uh, Chris, your prediction here between these two great bots?
1: Mm, both great bots, but I foresee Witch Doctor maybe eating a wheel. Okay. Lindsay?
3: Witch Doctor. Okay.
0: And I am going to go with Scorpios. Whoa! Yeah. uh, We've seen how tough that robot's been this season, and I think that given its many wedge attachments, plow attachments, we're going to see a good... um, Defense against Witch Doctor. Despite uh Witch Doctor's really dominant performance against Slamo, I think that Scorpios is a control bot of another stripe. And uh we're going to see a Scorpios win here. Okay, uh Kyle, next match, Copperhead coming in at number three versus Mammoth coming in at number thirty. The very small bot against the very big bot. Uh your prediction.
2: I think we're gonna see a lot of chrome chrome molly steel which is the frame for mammoth just get chewed up and spit out by that drum there's just not much they can do in this fight okay
1: uh chris your prediction i think we're gonna really see you know the 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 nature uh of of giant mammals being terrified of small uh reptilian creatures and it's gonna be it's gonna be copperhead by a mile Copperhead by a mile. Lindsay, uh, your
0: prediction?
3: Yeah, I think this is a tough matchup for Mammoth because I don't think there's just a lot on Copperhead that Mammoth can like get their uh, meter onto, so I'm going to go Copperhead.
0: Okay, I am also going to go Copperhead. All right, on over two, uh, two pretty evenly seated bots, Lockjaw at number 14 versus Shatter at number 19. Kyle, your prediction?
2: This is a very tough one to call. Two really great bots, two really great drivers. Um, one of the things that one of our our fellow robot fighting podcasts likes to do is talk about who they're going for versus who they think is going to win. I am going for Shatter. Uh, I want Shatter to win, but I'm pretty sure Lockjaw is going to win.
1: Really? Okay. Chris, your thoughts here? Um... You know, we're kind of seeing uh, the same match that we just got with with Beta versus um, uh, versus Ribot. So, so long as Lockjaw doesn't come out with the completely wrong <laughs> front front wedge, uh, and no, but seriously, I I, I don't I don't think. Um, I don't think that Shatter is really the right bot to go up against another nimble vert spinner like Lockjaw. I'm going to have to say that Lockjaw is able to pull this one out by maybe disabling Shatter's weapon.
0: Okay. Lindsay, your thoughts on Lockjaw versus Shatter?
3: I think that Lockjaw is going to have an easier time muscling Shatter around because of Shatter's wheel configuration, so I'm going to go with Lockjaw. Okay.
0: I'm going to break from the pack. I'm going to say shatter for this match. Um, I've been really impressed with shatters ability to take a hit to the face and to keep going. It's shown some pretty remarkable resilience in the box. And I think that Lockjaw may run into some mechanical issues in this, this fight. That's what I'm guessing. Maybe shatter lands a well-placed hit that snaps a belt. Um, So yeah, so I'm going to go with um, Shatter. Okay, uh, on over to Endgame coming in at number six versus Perfect Phoenix coming in at 27. Will we see a repeat of uh, Endgame versus Tombstone given uh, Perfect Phoenix's tutelage, I guess, uh, under under Tombstone? Kyle, your thoughts?
2: I think Tyler is going to do some fantastic driving. I think they're going to get around the side of Endgame. I think they're going to get some great hits, and then I think they're going to get knocked out and toastered into the side of the arena like almost everybody else that's fought to end game this year. Mm.
1: Okay. Chris, Lindsay? Yeah, I, I don't see how Perfect Phoenix can really get around that end game equation. Uh, once the, the moment that Perfect Phoenix is, is lifted, it's over. Okay. Lindsay, your thoughts?
3: Um, This is end games to win for sure, but... Man, those would be uh, some pretty substantial bragging rights for Tyler if uh, Perfect Phoenix does win over Endgame.
1: True.
0: And I'm going to also go with Endgame. All right, on over to our final match of the night, closing out the top 32. Kyle, your thoughts on Jackpot coming in at number 11 versus Rotator at number 22.
2: Jackpot's had a good run. It's been a great first season for them. This is going to be the end of it. Oh boy! <laughs> okay,
0: R.I.P.
1: Jackpot. All right, uh, Chris, your your thoughts? Jackpot versus rotator? I think Jackpot's got one more ace up its sleeve. Really? I do.
3: Whoa!
1: I'm gonna go with Jackpot. Okay, Lindsay, your thoughts here?
3: Uh, Chris, that's a gamble. I'm gonna go with rotator. Ooh.
1: Rotator. Okay.
3: That was my gambling joke.
1: was a good one (laughs) well i'm gonna really hang up my hat it's over (laughs) uh i am going to also
0: go with jackpot i think i
2: yeah struggles against powerful verts i mean it's not an unfair choice to make
0: yeah this is a good match um you know, the, the funny thing is because we don't see the order that the matches go in, which I think is smart ahead of time. Cause you can kind of read into them a little bit. Yeah. I'm really curious of these eight, which one's going to be the main event. Um, if, if you see jackpot versus rotators, number two, you know, it's going to be a squash match, but yeah. if it's jackpot versus rotator number four or number eight or the opening match, you know, it's going to be great. But, um, I guess we'll just have to see on Thursday. That's the exciting part about the uh, the 2020 championship. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have just one news item for you today. The lightweight prop that BattleBots uses as a stand-in for the giant nut is missing eagle-eyed fans this week noticed that the giant nut was not spinning on the mechanical hand designed by marks trackian greg munson this week revealed that the show typically puts a lightweight replica of the giant nut on the spinning arm but that they can't seem to find the so-called stunt nut. So in a pinch, they use the real giant nut, which weighs a ton and is too heavy to rotate using that arm. If you happen to know the current location of the stunt nut, reach out to Greg on Facebook.
3: Hashtag find the stunt nut.
0: (laughs) Call it the stunt nut. (laughs) I want to know how, how light the stunt nut is. And like, how did they achieve such lightness, you know? Like, uh, did they go with a super expensive, uh, material, you know, instead of aluminum? Is it, is it like titanium? Is it something,
2: something just all hollow on the inside?
1: How's that even possible? You know, they just, they ordered the real giant nut on (laughs) (laughs) wish.com.
2: Wouldn't that just actually get them like a medium sized washer?
1: Good point.
0: (laughs) All right, let's switch gears and get into our recap of episode 11. The top 32 kicked into high gear on Thursday, and from here on out, you'll see a tonal shift in the championship fights. In the past, you might see two builders intentionally put on a good show, go all three minutes, help their competitor out in a pinch, etc. perfect example would be Sawblaze opting to go with a lighter blade in its match against Rusty last week, in hopes that it would go the full three minutes. You'll likely see very little of that in the championship which favors strategies that land quick knockouts without a lot of expensive repairs, given that if you want to win the giant nut, you've basically got to win four matches in a row. All right, let's get into our first match of the championship, Tombstone versus Mad Catter. This was Calvin Iba's biggest driving test to date, and absolutely this bot's biggest technical challenge of the season. Madcatter entered the box with a 36-pound vertical spinner with a single lifting arm, while Tombstone entered with an absolutely brutal 72-pound AR500 steel blade. Rather than trying to break Tombstone's blade with a big plow, it appeared that Calvin tried to get around to Tombstone's wheels, Unfortunately, Ray was able to turn his bot on a dime and repeatedly land hits on the side of Mad Catter, ripping off one of its wheels and sending it to a slow, crawling death. Your thoughts on this fight?
1: It was, it was heartbreaking watching the transformation from Mad Catter to the end of the match when it became Sad Catter. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yes, Chris, Chris, perfect, perfect.
2: At first, I wanted to think of this match like if we were giving this match a movie title. Right, I wanted to give it something like horror movie, you know, like Tombstone back from the grave. Um, but really, what I think this match should be called is how Ray got his groove back. Ooh, you know, it's a romantic comedy. He he had some some confidence issues, and now he's like back to full Ray. The rave that you want that comes out there and says, I'm gonna trick you, I'm gonna fool you, I'm gonna outdrive you, and I'm gonna hit your bot so hard it doesn't move anymore, and you're gonna cry and I'm gonna laugh. And that's the way life goes. Have a good one.
0: Um, we know that that Calvin Eba is such a smart strategic driver and that going into this fight, he very likely watched a ton of tape of Tombstone. I mean, he's grown up watching Tombstone, right? Um Absolutely. Do you like? Do, I mean, I haven't reached out to Calvin to ask, so this is a purely speculative question. But do you think that Calvin made mistakes in this match, or was this the best that Mad Catter could could expect in um, in a really tough matchup against against Tombstone?
2: I think I think he made some mistakes. Yeah, I, I think there were definitely some moments where the side of his robot was too close to tombstone when he did his little well-known pivot technique. Um, I think that there were some moments when Calvin let the side of that wedge take an impact that it really should have been directed towards the front of that wedge. It was not a perfect driving. I'm not saying Calvin did a bad job. I'm just saying it wasn't a perfect driving match. And unfortunately you have to have a perfect driving match to beat tombstone. It's just how it is.
0: Well said. All right, on over to our second match, Uppercut versus Hijinx. Uh, We've got Jen coming on the show here in just a couple minutes to break down this fight and uh, really give an incredibly detailed analysis of it. However, um, I'd love to hear your thoughts um, ahead of that interview. This was a decidedly tough matchup for Hijinx which entered the box knowing that they very likely would make weapon on weapon contact with Uppercut, which packs this absolutely devastating punch. Um, and that contact happened almost immediately. Uppercut landed a hit that bent Hyjinx's blade and sent it flying across the battle box, landing right in front of Chris and Kenny earning the knockout in just 33 seconds. Although it was a, a fast match, there were two things that uh, I wanted to note. So, this is the second time that we've seen Uppercut lose one of its balancing arms. You know, it has those two arms that stick out outside of the bot so that it doesn't get tipped over and do the thing. Um, that is certainly something that's concerning and something that I'm going to be watching for in, in future championship fights. Second, uh, this is yet another, <laughs> you know, uh, out of the arena uh, KO. And I feel like there's more out of the arenas this this year than any other year combined, perhaps. Um, and I'd love to get your thoughts on that, if you think that's interesting. Um, I know that there's been talk from the fans about kind of eliminating the out-of-the-arena just in general. They think it's kind of a strange way to win. Um, so, so yeah, thoughts on this match? Thoughts on Uppercut's arm? Thoughts on out-of-the-arena?
2: I think we should keep the out-of-the-arena space I think it is a great way for a bot to dominantly win a match while presumably leaving their opponent somewhat intact. Mm -hmm. I like the kind of sumo aspects of it. And, like, it's out of bounds. You know what I mean? If you knock your opponent out of bounds, you win in this particular game. If you knock somebody running with the football out of bounds, their run is over it's well within sports lore and traditional, the way games are played to be uh, normal and fine. I I don't have a problem with, with out of the arenas. That's fine.
0: Kyle, by the same logic, football would be improved if there was a giant pit, right? Uh, In the middle of the, (laughs) in the middle of the fields, right? That you could uh, push opposing players into. Uh,
2: I will say this once. And I will say this again. Anytime you bring this up, Luke, that is the least American thing you could possibly say. If you want to drink tea and eat crumpets and talk to me about pits, then fine. But this is America and we don't do that here, okay? We like freedom, we like guns, we like hot dogs, and we like arenas without pits.
1: Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I say we up the stakes and if there's gonna be an out of, uh, out of box area, fill it with water. Throw some electric eels in there, okay? Or, or, or uh, your bot gets knocked out. the The last team that you beat gets thirty seconds to do whatever they want to your bot before you manage to tap out. That's (laughs) just, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever we could do. Take
2: notes, Luke. Chris is a true patriot.
3: (laughs) It was, it was heartbreaking, though. I mean. I I like the idea of the out of bounds and I think we should keep it, but that doesn't mean that it it isn't hard watching a bot that you love so much have its entire season run end with a flip out of the arena in you know ten seconds. Like it it really made me feel for Jen and for the team and I wish that, you know, we had been able to see them duke it out a little bit longer. But it just uppercut is so dominant, and what what can you do? What can you do? This is
0: this is a bot that I've seen a lot of predictions, you know, this past week to go all the way, possibly win the giant nut. Um, uppercut is looking really scary. It's it appears to be a bot that that's very difficult to plan for, and I would really like to see um, kind of its its path. Um, from from this point forward, because I think this is absolutely the the bot to watch. On over to our next match, Black Dragon versus SlamO. Um, we've said it before. I mean, this is Craig Danby's storybook season. Twenty twenty has just been such a great season for for him and his team. Um, after he struggled with. Earlier BattleBots designs Predator and Foxtrot, Craig found a lot of success with SlamO, which was built months ahead of the competition, with lots of time for Craig to design 36 different configurations of the bot based on the opponent that he was facing. And it worked! He faced four spinners in a row, Pain Train, War EZ, Witch Doctor, before advancing to the top 32 and taking on the kids from Black Dragon, who have struggled to recapture last season's magic and more importantly, last season's driving. In this match, Craig decided to go with a heavy sloped lifting wedge, which appeared to be a bit cumbersome as Slamo rocked back several times during this match, leaving themselves open for Black Dragon's vertical drisk, which earned a knockout in two minutes and eight seconds. Your thoughts on this match, Black Dragon versus Slamo?
2: It was a great match for both of these teams. Um... You know, I think I think that Craig had a ridiculously good season with his bot. Um, That match with with which Doctor was actually really close. I mean, I went back and watched it the other day, and I was like, "Wow, that could have gone the other way, pretty easily." Um, Black Dragon outdrove him in this fight, and I think uh, just judging by some of the things I read online afterwards. There were some configuration choices that Craig and his team really regretted after this match with black dragon. They, they wish they'd gone a different strategy route. Um, but that said, man, you can't complain about this season for that team. And you definitely can't complain about black dragons driving in this fight. They were just dominant. They looked a lot like their old 2019 selves. So that was beautiful to see. Did they Kyle though? Did they really? Yeah. I thought they did. They, (laughs) they were pretty relentless. They were pretty, they were pretty on top of it. They didn't give Craig a lot of ability to recoup after hits. It was, it was good. It was good driving.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When, I mean the, the black dragon from 2019, I just felt like they, they were able to drift a bit more. They were really on top of their opponent. Um, they just seemed like the driving was a little bit more together. Obviously we have two new drivers this, this year. Um, and black dragons driving is not really part of their kind of like televised story. Um, and in this match, you know, like it was fine. It was functional, but I I felt like black dragons driving was kind of like driving in a lot of boxes, kind of like straight, make a turn, drive back, maybe miss, maybe not, you know, um, and there, there were a lot of moments where where Craig found himself on his back, and I thought, Black Dragon's going to capitalize. They're just going to come in and just hit the middle of that robot, and they failed to do so. Um, you're you're so, looking
2: for more of that controlled chaos, that kind of, like, hypershock drift and actually get the hit situation that you saw a lot of uh, with them last season.
0: The kind of whiplash-esque, like... Yeah. Always in your face, always in the right spot, ready to, to hit you, and you're not really sure if you're gonna you're gonna get hit from the front or the back, just because they're that good. We didn't really see a lot of that. It was like drive away, turn around, drive back, and I don't know. Um, it was a factor. It's been a factor, I would say, in this in this this this
2: season. Yeah, I hear you.
3: I could definitely uh, feel and sympathize with craig at the end of it where he was like uh he said something i think along the lines of like i'm tired of of always like almost doing it
4: mm-hmm.
3: uh, because i think especially in the beginning there were um a few times where if it had just um, something had gone like just slightly slightly differently maybe a slightly different angle or position or whatever like i think he could have flipped them and i think I think he would have been able to to really like have a go at it. Um, in the beginning, I was actually favoring Slamo uh, when the match started, so I I understand how he was feeling, and I think that it just shows how much he he loves and cares about the sport and his bot. And I mean, no, probably few people out there have have put more time into their bots this year than Craig has, and so, um, you know, I, I feel him for that, and I think that uh everyone coming after him on facebook is like insane
0: i you know what our fan base is trash all right like like just just in general like i i've been so exasperated with the fans like this this year just like it's embarrassing like come on like it sounds like like you don't watch any other sports ever you don't understand yes <laughs> like, this is somebody who like probably self-funded a $45,000 robot, you know, and has been driving this thing every day for the last six months and looking at it and just like tweaking it and working on it. And, you know, to see their season end is really tough. And it's not even that like, it's just normal human emotion. Like, I don't know. It's just, I, I, I didn't get any of the outrage this week. I think it's, it's dumb. It's probably five people who are just really loud. But
2: um, I mean, on top of that, as everybody we've had on our show tells us, it's double plane, like polycarbonate. You can't hear what's going on on the other side of it. The adrenaline's going. Everything's loud in that room anyway. So he probably wanted to let them know, like, hey, you're getting really close to me, and I'm completely disabled, and I don't want you to hit me. I would rather save my bot. I would rather have, like, keep these motors and keep these pieces intact. You've already won. Please stop, right? But nobody's going to hear you if you talk like that. They would have heard you last year because you're right next to each other, but this year you got to yell. And I, I think for just practical reasons, it was perfectly fine that he yelled that way, and I didn't see any issue with it. You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: but a lot of people don't even realize. Is I end every one of our podcasts by telling Luke to back off. <laughs> it's true. Go up to our podcast drunk every time. Hey, Luke, back off.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. True. Chris does bully me at the end of every podcast. That's true.
3: <laughs> I always have to edit it out, and I'm like, you know what? One day I'm going to leave this in. <laughs>
2: Everyone will know what a monster Chris is. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right, Honor of Two Beta versus Ribot—the match that broke a thousand brackets. Woo! <laughs> Are you cheering because we uh, we don't have to send out a bunch of hex bugs, Lindsay?
3: <laughs> well, I'm cheering because you all thought I was crazy last week, but I knew it.
0: All right, well, you're going to have to tell us how you knew. Um, This was the final match for John Reed and Beta, who have had a decidedly weird season. Beta failed to fire its hammer in its match against Rotator, earned a controversial judge's decision there, squashed Rusty and Grabot, somehow earned the 13 seed, and came out with a brand-new horseshoe-crab-shaped armor configuration that we've never seen in its fight against Ribot, which made quick work of Beta's defenses, popping it over and over and over again, earning the knockout in just 70 seconds. I just feel like the Beta story has just been so weird this year. Um maybe we can commiserate about this. I also feel like every every time that we've seen Beta, like I felt kind of bad for like questioning the robot, questioning the 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 robot season. And now like four matches later, it's just just ends on a weird note um, so your thoughts here thoughts on the horseshoe crab thoughts on beta as a robot thoughts on kind of like the this this strange season from this robot I guess
1: thoughts in general hmm I, I see that our opponent has shown up to the match uh, with their weapon that's uh, that's heartburn we should take off our armor that's made out of Rolades and instead use the jalapeno poppers.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. I, okay. I don't know. The second I saw that horseshoe crab, like armor, I was thinking to myself like, like what, like, is that it? Are, Are they, are they bringing out something else to put on top of that? Like what, how, how did this, Makes sense. Kyle, help me understand the physics of the horseshoe crab design.
2: Dude, I'm lost. I mean, I get that they didn't want to have a wedge that bots could climb up and chew away at their hammer, right? I think like they're always trying to protect that mechanism, they're always trying to protect that gear that actually like drives the hammer. So maybe their thought was, if we make it flat in the front, then they won't be able to climb up our bot and break the weapon. But that's the only thing I can think of that would be an advantage in that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't see any other physics advantage there. And I'm not, you know, a combat robot builder, but yeah. I fabricate things, and, like, that's the only thing I can think of that makes any sense. I, I don't get it. I really don't get it. I don't know what they were thinking. I
1: think that they were expecting that vertical plate in the front to like offer them rather than getting like literally lifted up by the vertical, like, like a kickback, which would actually give them an opportunity to strike.
2: Yeah. That makes some sense. Actually, but, it, y- it would bounce and give them an ability to then fire the hammer.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. But you know, it, it really, it was ensnared and because it was ensnared, like it was a, like the entire bot was able to get lifted and. You know, once you you grant um, a, a, a devastating vertical spinner to the undercarriage of your bot, tea time's over.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, you and I, you and I, have had the opportunity to like get to know this robot team a little bit just by going to Norwalk and seeing their work. Um, you know, we've all seen their work at Motorama. What this was to me was a guy who is a legend in the sport, a team that is a legend in the sport. Just losing to these kids that grind at this sport. They are always building these three-pound bots. They are always building these 12-pound bots. They are just grinding away, making these different iterations, trying out these new techniques, trying out these new things. They are out there every single chance they get. Every event you see on the East Coast, they're there. They're just working and working and working and working. And that work paid off. You know what I mean? Like, they did not overthink this. They did not come in there with anything that wouldn't work. There was no wasted energy. There was no wasted armor configurations. It was just like, yep, what we're going to put out there will work, and it will work every time, and here we go. Yeah. I
3: think it was uh, uh, definitely a combination of exactly that, like what David Jin said in his exit interview when he was like, you can't be thinking about the hammer because then you're going to be driving scared. Um, and I think that was a big factor, and I think that also it's possible that John Reed and team underestimated what Ribot was bringing to the table and underestimated just how hard and 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 how long these kids spend on robots and and how hard they they work at them,
2: yeah, yeah amen lindsay that is that is the hottest take i I could definitely see an underestimation of what these, essentially these kids, I mean, we're, we're referring to them as kids, they're college students, right? Like yeah, either still in or just out of college. Y- yeah, no, they, they, he underestimated these kids and they showed him that that was a bad idea.
3: Also, the very first time that we ever talked about Ribot, when we were doing our like new team preview, and we were trying to figure out like why is this bot like made out of like rub like foam and looking <laughs> like a frog? Like, what's the deal here? And I said, I think it's so that other teams underestimate them. And I still, I still uh, hold to that. I, I feel like there is still an element there where it's like, oh, this bot is a frog. Cool, let's uh you know let's like take our most um effective piece of armor away. <laughs> like I don't I don't know. I I, I think that there is some some truth to that somewhere.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just like the flat front without any wedgelets, odd choice. Odd choice.
3: Right. And they were like, this is specifically designed for vertical spinners. How? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I don't I mean what do I know? They are clearly brilliant. Like Beta yeah. is still a phenomenal machine and like an incredible robot. They know so much more than I do. So I would I would love to just have them answer that question because there's there's clearly like also more thought put into it than than yeah. is probably visible to us, but
0: I would love to get John Reed on the show. That's we need to do that this year if he says yes. So let's let's do that. And we can ask that question. <laughs> All right, Honor two, Whiplash versus Huge. This was a highly anticipated rematch for Matt Vasquez and Jonathan Schultz. On paper, Huge would likely win this fight if it were anyone other than Matt Vasquez on the other side of the class. Huge requires time to spin up its big blade, something that Matt Vasquez countered by simply staying under the robot at all times and taking the hits as they came. This was incredible driving from Matt, who was absolutely relentless, driving and lifting under Huge for the full three minutes. Thrilling match. Put it under the textbook definition of a BattleBots driving
2: clinic. Your thoughts on this fight? Matt Vasquez is a freak of nature. (laughs) Uh, There's there's no other way of describing it. You know, you you see, like I think about that with um, some people that are like UFC fighters, right? You've got people like John Jones, uh, who's he's a he's a light heavyweight champ. He's he is tall. He is lanky. His body makes no sense for the sport and yet he just continues to fight, and he outthinks his opponents and outlasts his opponents. And it's not because he works that much harder, it's because he's just a genetic freak, and his brain does the things better than everybody else's in that sport. Matt is that to BattleBots. He controls every aspect of that robot by himself, and he is faster on the sticks, controlling the arm, the spinner, and the drive, than other people who are only worrying about the drive or only worrying about the weapons, it's amazing. Like the the kid's a freak, it, and it's amazing. And uh, I hate to say it, I love huge. Huge is amazing. He is an amazing bot. They they did not have a chance. They didn't have a chance.
1: Mm-hmm. I wouldn't go that far. I mean, Jonathan certainly made I think the right call in switching, you know, the orientation of the blade to to come down on on sure. instead of trying to kick him. Uh, the second half, I feel, of the fight kind of got marred because part of that tail UHMW got kind of bent inward. If anyone caught that, and it actually really prevented his weapon from spinning up on several, maybe even more, occasions in the last ninety seconds of the fight. Even when Whiplash wasn't directly under Huge, Huge was unable to spin up because it kept clipping that one one of, the, one of its tail legs. And, um, you know, I, I, that, that was just from, you know, a, a really a bad bash from Whiplash in, early in the match. Had that not happened, I think that there was still an opportunity for Huge to, you know, land a big hit on top of Whiplash, disabling its arm or even, you know, getting through, uh, you know, some of that lighter material on the top that we saw earlier in the season when Saw Blaze was able to uh, to put a hurt on, on Whiplash. Um, but, uh, you know... It, I will I will I will agree with with you that Matt Vasquez, he's a great driver, uh, really um you know put the heat on Hughes this entire match. Uh but there were a couple of um you know unforeseen and, and unfortunate uh you know mechanical issues that that kind of also marred the second half of the fight. So um I, I would I wouldn't go as far as to say that Hughes didn't have a shot, but you know, they, they certainly uh you know they certainly did what they could with what they had.
0: I I think, too, that the kind of interesting thing that fans don't really see behind the scenes is that there is a huge, huge gulf between how much time certain drivers spend practicing with their robots compared to other drivers. We, we've talked to drivers both on the show and just kind of one-on-one, and they say, yeah, you know, um, I never drive my heavyweight. I drive like a total of 10 minutes every year, you know? And like, I'm mostly a builder. I I build so that it packs this huge punch and uh, I, I bring it to the box and just kind of hope for the best. Um, or, you know, there, there's people who are like, yeah, this is just a hobby. And I I dust off, you know, my same old design, bring it to, to BattleBots and spin it up in the test box, just kind of see, see how it goes, you know? Um, and then there's other drivers like Matt Vasquez who are driving Whiplash like all the time driving smaller robots all the time, grew up driving robots all the time. And, um, you know, for him, he thinks about driving, like it's a, it's it's much, it's, it's more natural, you know, because he has those 10,000 hours and continues to practice. And I think that's really the thing that sets him apart. Um, I, I, I watched this match a couple of times and this was like, you, you can see just absolutely brilliant driving and, um, I really, I really love this, this, this fight. This, this was a really, really good um, showing for for Matt and team. All right, on over to Valkyrie versus Sub Zero, our best fight from Sub Zero possibly ever. Sub Zero Captain Logan Davis entered this match with an unconventional wedge attachment on the back of his robot, which required him to basically drive backwards for most of the match, and it worked. This was possibly the best performance we've ever seen from Sub Zero. On BattleBots, I was on the edge of my seat as it looked like they may actually break Valkyrie's blade. But Valkyrie's blade kept spinning and landed huge hits, tearing off Sub-Zero's front wedges and back plow, earning a decisive knockout in 99 seconds. Your thoughts on this match?
2: Sub-Zero looked like he was supposed to be in the round of 32. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. They look like a top-tier, top-competitor robot. They did a great job. Uh, Unfortunately, Valkyrie has, uh, unfortunately for them, valkyrie has leveled up this year um so yeah it it went the way it was supposed to but sub-zero what a great start to for this team with this new captain and this new team behind it It, it's a really it bodes well for the future
3: of this bot i was so proud of logan and of the whole team but yeah i mean valkyrie like could it go all the way? Is that is that crazy? Like, it just doesn't die.
2: It's not crazy. You're, you're right on.
0: All right. On number two, Gigabyte versus Malice. A punishing, punishing fight for Malice, which had its huge aluminum blade shaved down by Gigabyte, whose shell never stopped spinning. After this match, Malice captain Bunny Sariel posted photos and video of her bot's drum, which had huge chunks taken out of it. She later said it took the team seven hours to fix the blade and get the bot ready for BattleBots Bounty Hunters. Gigabyte is looking really strong as it enters its next match against Hydra. Will they be able to pull off two upsets in a row? We'll have to see in two weeks' time. Your thoughts on this fight, Malice versus Gigabyte?
3: As crazy as it is to say, I feel like Gigabyte has looks like an actual real contender this season more, more than ever.
0: It's got a big beefy shell. Um, and it's reliability has been pretty good. It's difficult to go up against the shell cause it's always hitting something on your robot. The second that you make, uh, you know, a connection, Malice doesn't have forks on the front of the robot. So really it was going to go face first into this big shell and just the geometry of it was really tough for, for Bunny and her team. Um, and yeah, I mean, if if Gigabyte can keep spinning, it is it is a difficult robot to plan for.
3: It was crazy to see the amount of damage that Malice's weapon took.
0: Yeah. Like, chunks. Yeah, yeah. I can't even imagine what the battle box looks like after that. I mean, like, are you just stepping on <laughs> just aluminum all over the place? Like, is it flying into the walls? I, I would just love to have been in the audience for, for that fight.
3: Good season for Malice, though. Really, really looking strong, and uh, can't wait to see what they bring next season.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right, on over to our main event, Hydra versus Hypershock, the big one. And uh, a little bit of context going into this fight. Uh, according to P1 Captain Brandon Zelensky, a couple of teams had made it into the top 32 but were struggling to rebuild their robots in time. We later heard from other builders that Hypershock was one of those robots that nearly didn't make it into the battle box, but were able to finish the robot just in time. We saw a not-so-subtle nod to that sprint when Will Bales wheeled out Hypershock and immediately took off the bot's front wedges as it stood right outside of the battle box. I just thought that was so cool. I like got like a little thrill when I saw this, you know? However... Uh, it didn't work um, Hydra managed to get under hypershock and keep flipping that robot Breaking its weapon and eventually flipping it perfectly out of the arena Leading to my favorite shot of the episode with referee David Sanfilippo Counting out hypershock as it lay helplessly against the glass Your thoughts on this very thrilling
2: match This is gladiator combat at its best I mean come on the, Taking the, the front wedgelets off was hilarious it was cinematic, um, and I really like that. Uh, so we got to hear from Jake about this fight on Tale of the Tape after show. Highly recommend you check it out. It's a great YouTube show. Um, occasionally, you'll see our faces on there. Uh, but Jake said that uh, you know they asked him what he was thinking when he saw those wedges come off of Hypershock, and he goes, oh, I don't care. I'm just going to find some other place to flip them. It's fine. <laughs> oh jake jake is such an instigator he cracks me up he's so funny uh but yeah this fight was great i mean like it had really really great moments it had um some really really great encounters and uh i love that will was just resigned to his fate at the end of it and he was like yeah man have have at it get get many as many more flips as you want in there and uh it ended up being 13 13 yeah. flips yeah that's a lot of flips it's flipping amazing kyle it's flipping amazing it's flipping amazing
0: it was so good and that's it for this week's predictions news and 2020 championship recap after the break our interview
1: with Jake's captain jen herkenroder
0: This week on the podcast, we have a very special returning guest, Hijinx Captain Jen Herkenroeder. We last had Jen on the show around this time last year when Hijinx was shrouded in mystery with a solid team and a lot of anticipation around the bot's ambitious design. One year, one pandemic, and one entire season of BattleBots later, we're catching up with Jen to reflect on her experience as a captain, what it was like building Hijinx, what it was like to fight Chomp, and what's next for her team and her bot. We're looking forward to getting into all of these topics in the hour ahead, so welcome to the show, Jen. Hello, thank you. I am so happy that we are able to connect. Um, I feel like uh, it's only been a year since we last talked, but it also feels like 10 years. Um,
4: It it really does.
0: I remember um, the the Wednesday that your show came out. I was riding a packed train into New York City, and um, just everything about... Like the the before times just sounds so foreign to me now. Um and it's it's weird that it's only been twelve months, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, it
4: does have the feeling of like a lifetime kind of squished into and then stretched out over this year. It's it was a boy, last year was a hell of a decade.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'd, I'd love to get kind of like caught up. So I mean, so so this time last year, no one knew what hijinks looked like except just a few people. And I thought that was a really interesting decision that you made as a team to keep the design a mystery. And it really built up, it was like such a big topic of conversation among the fans leading up to BattleBots and when we finally got to see the design of HiJinks, everyone was so excited by it, you know? Um, can I, I'd love to hear more about that decision to keep it secret. Um, when did you decide that you were gonna keep it secret, and um, how did you decide when it was time to, to reveal the design?
4: Well, I'll, I'll be honest, uh, I had no plans to keep it secret, but Orion suggested, Orion Beach, he's our lead engineer, uh, robot building extraordinaire, um, he wanted to keep it a secret. We, we had a conversation about it and we had both individually shown the preliminary, like the very first designs, to a couple of, of like friends in the field, like builders that we trusted. And uh, I had this experience where I, I showed a very preliminary design to someone who had like a, uh, a robot and within a week they came back and said, yeah, yeah, we built something for you. I was like, oh man. Orion was right. The reason why Orion wanted to keep the secret is because we had uh, not just a big bar, but we had a defensive wedge on the back. And we thought that was a a really good way to buy ourselves spin-up time and also a really good way to counter some other hard-hitting robots. And Orion wanted this to be a surprise because he didn't want folks to have time at home to build attachments or to build stuff for us. Much in the way, you know, bike rack gate. Uh, they brought that to BattleBots, as far as I know. They built it at home and then brought it. And Orion did not want someone building an attachment for our robot and bringing it to the event and being very well prepared. He wanted to surprise them with what we could do. Um, so as the build is progressing, it is, it's increasingly difficult to keep the secret, not just because a lot of people are asking, but because I have felt this growing anxiety that uh, what if the design that we bring like, doesn't live up to all the hype? Because I had been hyping it for months. And I started at first like, yeah, this is going to be the greatest thing we've ever built. And then we get closer. I'm like, oh no, um, huh. We really have to deliver, huh? Like this has to be really good. And, (laughs) and then I felt this mounting pressure to make it the best thing it could possibly be. And I, Mm -hmm. I really hope that we sort of met that challenge at the end. I think what we brought is really different than what anyone was expecting. And on that metric alone, I feel like that was successful but the design itself, I spent a lot of time um, on the CAD, drawing and redrawing how the feathers might look, what the paint might be, like driving to different cities, trying to find the right colors even like it. I put a lot, we put a lot into every detail on the robot.
0: Yeah. What, what was, what was the, re- the reaction from the builders and the fans once the design was released? Um, did, you, did you hear instant feedback, I guess, from, from the community?
4: Uh, I'd say when we showed up on site with the robot, that was the, that was the first time most of the other builders had seen it. And, uh, the, the overall response was overwhelmingly positive. Um, there were even hypershock who had sponsored us and who knew about the design and who I'd been sending like designs to, to make sure that we were not going to be too much like hypershock. There was like some speculation that we were making a hypershock clone. I was like, no, it's not, it's really different. When we had it out in the pit, Will Bales and his team walked over, and they were like, oh, my God, you did it. You did the thing. Uh, <laughs> so they were really excited. Um, Peter Abramson, he came over, and he was just, he kind of, like, leaned back on his heels and smiled and shook his head. He was like, I can't believe you did it. You did. You did what you said you were going to do. This is amazing. And like, oh, my God, that was the best feeling. Like, the bot whisperer says you did the thing, and you're like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> There were only a few people who were like, "Yeah, it's probably not that great," and "Yeah, it's like really pink," but like, who cares? Like, <laughs> that's just like your opinion, man.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I do, I do. I've, I've been, I've been curious about this for the last year. I've been dying to ask you, so I figure I'll put you on the spot. Um, we did have an anonymous tip from a listener who sent this to us. Um, through like a back channel it was very mysterious they said well we've seen what hijinks is and we can reveal that it is a vertical spinner that somehow got fire into the tip of the spinner so that when it spins up it's this like crazy fireball in the front of this robot And um, it's going to be the coolest thing you've ever seen and just watch for it on the show, I guess, basically. Um, And I've been dying to know, was fire ever part of the design? Was it ever a vertical spinner or was somebody totally pulling my leg who is listening to this podcast and probably laughing to themselves right now?
4: Oh, interesting. Well, um, we did have a red herring early on because we took the drive modules that we were eventually going to use on hijinks and we put them on electric boogaloo, which is a vertical spinner. I think that got some people's like ideas turning. That oh, it's going to be a vertical spinner. It's going to be the next generation of electric boogaloo because Orion is building it. Like oh, obviously that's what it's going to be. And we let them run with that. Like we let them keep that idea. <laughs> we did not correct them because um, people had contacted me directly and asked, "Is this going to be electric boogaloo? And I said, "Oh, you know, it's going to be an, it's going to be a new thing," <laughs> and just left off. Yeah. Uh, there, there was fire. Um, In January of last year, uh, I I tested the first flame module and then um, had an updated version that was going to install on the robot. But a couple of things happened along the way. A couple of things happened in the pits, even. Um, One was that the uh, the actuator on the flamethrower wasn't working reliably. And that made us all very pausy about using it at all. So we sat down to do a kind of redesign in the pits um, and make a new improved flame module with the things that we had on hand. But then we witnessed like three different fights where the fight was decided because of the failure of a flame module or the failure of a flamethrower. Or mm-hmm. in one case, I think it's in the case of Sawblaze, the flame burst out of the robot. Uh, none of us keep the flames really close to where the electronics are. Like we we at least think that far through our design. So Jameson had put his flame module close to the top armor and away from those electronics. But visually on the TV, it looks like Uppercut has done an enormous amount of damage really rapidly because that module exploded. So we saw this happen, we're like, all right, if we're gonna put the flame module in at all, it must be like as close to perfect as possible. It can't fail. And then we kept getting like heavy hitting robots as our opponents, and we were just like, oh, forget the flamethrower, put more armor on it, armor up. <laughs> yeah, nah, <laughs> like there nah. were two fights where we barely made weight because we had added armor for the chomp fight. We added sorbitane in between the armor to make a, a nice like absorbing sandwich and uh in, in there's a bounty hunter fight, which I hope everyone's watching Bounty hunters, where we we changed configuration to what we thought was going to be in weight, and we were just barely in weight, and that was without the flamethrower, so it was a combination of we want if you're going to want to frame a flame rather, it has to be safe, it must be to your robot and to the people around it uh it needs to be reliable it can't explode uh (laughs) or if it does explode it has to look really cool when it does and still be Uh safe Uh, but the third thing was like if you have to take out a flamethrower to armor up your robot to survive a heavy hitting fight that's the right thing to do
0: right smart i'm trying to trying to imagine where you would put a flamethrower and a flamethrowing tank i guess on your robot like would the would the fuel be inside of like the owl's head or, and would the flame go out it like out through the wedge? I mean, like, can you talk about what the original design was for the fire?
4: Uh, yes, absolutely. It, it is entirely contained in the tail and the tail, all the tails are modular. They all come off. So there's a piece of G10 uh, between the tail opening and the chassis of the robot to make sure the flames never got back inside where the electronics are. Um, the, the box itself, you see, there are six holes them into the top of the tails those are the hardware holes for the flame module uh it's a butane canister basically like an eight ounce butane can that can be actuated on the front or the back the original module had all the electronics packed in the back and by the back i mean close to the chassis so close to the owl's head and then the flame thrower was coming out of the owl's tail there was an opening there for the flame to come out so it really would have been like we had flames coming out from behind the robot. Um, and when we're using the tail defensively or driving backwards, then the robots would be coming directly into the flame. That was the idea.
0: That's cool. That's really cool. Um, I wanted to, to take a step back and kind of get your thoughts on, um, on the theory behind hijinks. So when when did you initially begin to imagine the design for hijinks? And what 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 were you, what were was the thinking behind the design? What, what kind of robots... W- were, were hijinks kind of like designed to, to effectively face? Can you talk about some of the kind of theoretical th- thinking behind the design?
4: Sure, yeah. Um, uh, I, me and Ryan both, we wanted to do something that was gonna be a heavy hitter. And we, had, we both had talked about doing a horizontal. Um, obviously my first horizontal was kind of a mid cutter and was not super effective. Uh, Orion has built um, basically every kind of weapon system for smaller class robots. This was going to be his first big bar, and we were really excited about that. Uh, of the positions you can put the bar on the robot, I like the undercutter position. I think it gives you like almost guaranteed access to the other robot's body for most robots. Most robots are pretty close to the floor. Everyone's trying to play a ground game. If they have wheels, the wheels are making contact with the floor. So if you're swinging low, you have a very good chance of going after their wheels or going after something in the undercarriage. And I like that idea. Um, if the undercutters are a little bit more difficult. I think with a uh, sort of the, the top mounted bar, you can do different things. And with a mid cutter, that's really tricky because you have some of the robot above the bar and some below like ice wave. It's a really impressive robot for that respect. Uh, it's just really well constructed. Um, but we really liked, the idea of the undercutter there's another builder named russ barrow he had done a series of very small robots uh i think they're called dark slayers dark slayer one and dark saber and they they're really cool it isn't it's like an undercutter with a wide stance and then a little tail coming out of the back and we watch videos of these being extremely effective in their weight classes um that was a prime inspiration for this like other undercutters have existed but the way he had established his was really cool. And his are like artisanal robots. I think he makes each one by hand uh, in his machine shop. And they're very cool. Uh, one thing that we, you know, nothing scales directly from a small robot to a big robot. So we started deviating away from the Dark Slayer series really rapidly as we were scaling up. And one thing we wanted to do was make it wing forward, much like the balancing birds, It seemed like the bird that bounces on your fingertip because the the weight of the... Uh, bird the center of gravity is in the wings which are in front of the bird's body so it balances that way we thought that would be a very stable way to do it and then the tail as a stabilizer and also you know as a defensive object it has its own duties to do but um, as we were moving from conceptually a a kind of small robot make it a big undercutter how do we get it the best balance how do we make it stable how do we make it easier to drive because horizontal spinners have interesting driving characteristics
0: right Bloodsport team member Seth Schaefer asks, you've said that this robot is designed, especially to take out the meta vertical spinners. What about the design was motivated by this goal? And do you think you would do better against a bot like Bite Force or Endgame than you did against Uppercut?
4: Well, I mean, Uppercut is kind of a, an inspirational uh, <laughs> an inspirational target at this point. They've done a really good job of packing a lot of power into that robot. And uh, on, on two wheels, two-wheeled robots are pretty maneuverable. Um, mm-hmm. The four-wheel drive vertical spinner seems to be uh, in a, a very effective design. And in years past, Witch Doctor, Hypershock, Bite Force, Lockjaw, these are all very effective robots. They've become legendary in their own right. And w- that was really the prime motivator was the four-wheel drive vertical spinner. How do we get get in and do damage on that? And looking at fights like Tombstone versus Witch Doctor or Tombstone versus Bite Force, there's a lot of potential in how these robots damage each other. And I think that was a a big piece of the inspiration.
0: Mm, Right. And then uh, I'd love to hear more about the process of building the robot. Can you take us through that, that process um, and then some of the challenges that, that you may have faced uh, along via the, the builds process?
4: Oh yeah. This, this was, this was a uniquely challenging build because of stay at home orders and because of COVID Um, because we weren't able to work together in a way that I think we're all kind of more used to. Um, One of, for for better or for worse, uh, Orion had um, (laughs) got stuck with a lot of the CAD. Orion is a very good designer, so uh, he was a champ um, doing a lot of the CAD and and the initial design work, and then sending me and other members of the team um, pieces of the CAD to start uh, experimenting with fabrication. Um, one, of the, one of the best design flows that we had going early on in the robot process was Orion uh, would lock down a piece of the armor design. Then the armor design would go to me and to Van Weber Brothers, our sponsor in Petaluma. Van Beber would laser cut the AR400 plate for our armor. At the same time, I would take the model and make um, custom CNC like cut fixtures for the welding. Because the interior volume of the robot has to be very precise. And it's difficult to achieve a lot of precision over you know, four feet of welding. So I built fixtures that were basically breakaway items that would sit inside of the robot frame while I was welding it, and they could be broken out afterwards so the volume would always be correct. So Orion locks down the armor design, like a piece of the armor is set. Uh, me and Van Weber, we both get this design. We both do different work. I go pick up the steel from Van Weber, take it to my shop, and then assemble the fixtures and the armor together and start welding. So now we'd also, uh, we'd have a um, piece of the aluminum com- in, interior components, things like the bearing mount for the drive. Uh, those we had cut by our teammate Maddie in New Jersey. She had access to old CNC mills, so she was cutting those pieces for us. Uh, our teammate, Shesley got the wheels and began adding like the rubber <laughs> to the outside of the wheels. So we were mailing each other pieces of the robot. We were mailing each other by email different designs for the robot. Um, it, <laughs> it would have been my preference to have all of us like doing shop days together and grabbing pizza and doing all nighters together. But what wound up happening instead was a much more distributed workflow.
2: That also made for uh, an interesting social media presence because you had all these cool posts about all the work that was getting done, but nobody had any idea what the heck you were building.
4: Yeah, you only get to see one piece at a time. I think someone even commented like, if we collect all the photographs, can we like Lego this thing together and see what it is?
2: (laughs) Um, So I wanted to get into your time at the 2020 season of BattleBots. Um, kind of the, the fights as they aired. I'm not sure if that was actually the order uh, that you fought in, but uh, as they aired. Um, mm-hmm. So first up, Jinx and Claw Viper. Now, I read your post-match review about this where you went into some extremely uh, graphic detail about what happened and what went right and what went wrong and what you were happy about and what you weren't. Um, but if you could kind of run us through this match and then, you know, what the strategy was going in, um, and then kind of what ended up actually happening and what you had to deal with in the box.
4: Yeah. Uh, the Quad Viper fight, we felt like that was a good matchup. Quad uh, Viper is basically a tested robot, it's gone to Robot Ruckus. Um, mm-hmm. Kevin Milchevsky a great builder, he's been building a long time. So we knew that it was going to be a good fight because it was a good robot. Uh, and we you're pretty confident that we had a robot that could meet that challenge. So we went in prepared, feeling great about our chances. You know, you you never know what's gonna happen, but we had done our homework, we felt good about this. Um when we got into the match, uh, we did discover a flaw in the drivetrain. There's something that we just couldn't test for. Um, in the in the early stages, I mentioned we had put the drive modules for hijinks on electric Googaloo. That was our first round of testing to see if they were strong enough if they had enough torque, um, if they would handle the load, if you will, of moving a heavyweight robot around. So we had electric Google and then some weights added to it. And we started moving that around. And then when we got the chassis assembled for hijinks, put the drive modules in and immediately did some drive testing. And we were really satisfied with how fast it moved. Uh, And we were really satisfied with how well it turned. Uh, And Orion even did some burnout tests where he put the robot against a wall like static and then push into the wall and see how the drive modules behave like whether they were overheating and it, it looked great so we kind of put a big check mark in the box like yes the drive is done now we'll focus on the weapon um, but what happened was the one test we really just cannot do safely outside of battlebots is spin the weapon up to full and then run into something like another robot or like a wall uh, but there's just no way for us to do that safely we, so we get into the battle box, and uh, things are going pretty well. The weapon is hitting their weapon. Uh, we damaged their weapon. We disabled it. They got their, themselves around us like it was a good-looking fight. There was some back and forth. Uh, <laughs> this cool thing happened that we were really hoping would happen, which was uh, Claw Viper has magnets, and it has extra downforce, which makes it very fast. But they also ramped themselves up onto our wedge and flew over a robot. We're like, oh, it was so satisfying. Uh, and then one of our our drives just started slowing down like a lot. And then the other one started cogging and Orion is a, an expert driver. So he's like trying to negotiate the movement as much as possible, but then they both just kind of stopped moving. Uh, there was an unstick that isn't seen where uh claw viper got itself wrapped around us and then we were both stuck together. <laughs> <laughs> so we knew at that point, claw viper's weapon was probably not in such a great shape. Uh, we restart the match and we're just not driving well. And then we just stop and the weapon's still going. So I'm trying to like goad Kevin into hitting us. I'm like, come on, man, come on, come in, come get some. But I think he knew, like he could see what was going on. And we got counted out. So after the battery cool down period, we, you know, take the robot apart like we do. And on one side in the gearbox, the sun gear had sheared off of the center pin and was like, well, that, that explains that. Open up the other gearbox and one of the planetary gears had just crunched. It was just broken mm. metal. 're so like, oh, oh no. So we're like, how did this happen? And what, what had happened was, um, we went back and watched the fight and we had this expectation that when the robot hits something, uh, much in the way that tombstone, when it hits something big, it bounces backward. Uh, most robots will do a little bounce or they'll move, because uh, the energy is pushing against both robots. In our case, the robot kind of wanted to plant. It was like the grip on the wheels was a little too good for the floor. So the robot was kind of like staying in position when all that energy was going through. So instead of bouncing back and dissipating that energy, it was going into the wheels and then into the the drivetrain. And that's way too much force for those little gearboxes. So what we decided to do Um, on each of the drive shafts, there's a keyway and there's keys in there that lock the hub onto the shaft. And we thought, you know what? We've got a clamp clutch running on the weapon. That's working beautifully. Let's use the hubs like a clamp clutch. So we took the keys out of the hubs and then just kind of torqued the hubs down to what we thought was a reasonable torque specification. Uh, and then, you know, did some, did some testing, did a little driving around and basically let the hubs, the aluminum hubs. Spin a little bit on the shaft instead of having a really strong, thorough grip, they have more of a like a handheld grip. And that worked. We never had the same failure again. We did have other interesting things come up as as the matches went on, but that particular failure was mitigated.
2: Interesting. And it's so interesting that you had the kind of the tire sticking to the floor. Traction seems to be such a moving target for all these bots. You know, we heard so many other teams complaining that it was like ice out there. Um <laughs> And you had yeah. the opposite problem.
4: Yeah, well, there's uh, there's all different kinds of wheels being used now, like higher and lower durometer. Uh, some are like custom two pour uh, or like two part poured rubber. Um, there, I think a few teams have been buying aluminum hubs with the wheels basically poured around them from mm-hmm. Brazil. Uh, other teams had gone with like go kart tires that were filled with foam. Uh, th- there's a huge variety. Colsons are still being used. Uh Higher and lower durometer all over the place, the lower durometer wheels do grip better, but they also wear out a lot faster, and they tend yeah. to get shoot up a lot quicker. Uh, you know pneumatic tires have the risk of being punctured, so yeah, it's always a collection of compromises when you're choosing what to run.
2: Colson's famously explode <laughs> That match seemed uh like for for me as a fan of you know both of these robots and watching new bots do well in the box. Um, that, that had to be just so frustrating to like sit there and watch your bot do a full spin up and the weapon kept operating like the whole match. Right. I mean, it just wouldn't quit. Yeah. Which
4: yeah. Couldn't... We never had a weapon failure. It was really great.
2: Yeah, that is. I mean, I guess that is a, a good problem to have if you're going to have a problem.
4: <laughs> we were just hitting so hard.
2: <laughs> um, all right. So let's move on. Let's talk about hijinks versus tracer. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, uh, so we we interviewed the team captain from Tracer on this show as well in the preseason. Um, really like the theory behind the design of his bot. Really like the look of his bot. Um, really like his mini bot. I think what really sells his team for me is the mini bot. That thing is sweet. Uh,
1: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> but um, so I personally, very disappointed we didn't get to see this fight on air. I know that eventually it will you know go to YouTube and we'll all get to see uh, what happened and why? But um, could you tell us a little bit about the fight, as much as you're allowed to, I guess, and and uh, how it
4: went for you guys and what you learned from it? Sure. Yeah, I think uh, you know eventually Battlebots will release all of the fights and sort of the basement basement fights on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So eventually it'll be out. Um, it is a pretty short fight, uh, and I also like I like to look at Tracer. It's that's a cool robot. Uh, yeah. I, I had a curiosity about why it was as tall as it was, and I didn't get to see it, like, under the hood um, while we were on site, but I think I saw a CAD like a render walk-around uh, that they had posted on social media um, after the fact, and it is it's a really cool idea. Um, what happened in the match? Um, we swung up with uh, Tail Forward, uh, which was our, our MO for fighting other robots with big spins, and you know, approach them with our tail first and they, they went into our weapon and they got knocked over. Uh, I think there was an assumption that at zero RPM, the weapon motors would have enough torque to turn the robot over and it didn't appear to happen. So after the, after the first hit, they were knocked over and Orion went in for sort of a probing second hit. And it didn't appear that the robot was moving. And I, I got concerned, uh, <laughs> So I, I turned and you know, you're trying to yell at people, but there's like plexiglass there and everyone, you have so much adrenaline in your bloodstream that you don't necessarily hear what's happening. what right. um, I realized that tracer wasn't going to self-write. I asked like, do you want us to hit you? Do you want to hit? But very, very rapidly, the countdown started and you kind of can't hit the other robot after the count. And you can, but it goes one of two ways. Either it works and they're back in the fight. Uh, <laughs> or it doesn't work and you're just you're you look like a jerk because you just did a late hit on a disabled robot and that's really bad form so it's a it's a careful balance of like sometimes we'll hit each other to keep the fight going because we both want to put on a good show but you can't really go in for a late hit unless the other team is like really into it and i think if you saw last week's episode with hypershock and hydra that's a perfect example like will's like yeah do it hit it go (laughs) go <laughs> get some uh, and Jake obliged so that made for a really good fight and a really good show uh, with, with Tracer the entire fight was like I think it was less than 40 seconds so I can understand why they didn't necessarily put that one on TV it just, it just didn't show the best capability of either robot Yeah, uh, and I think they've been working on the problem since and I expect that they'll come back with an improved robot and it'll do the things, it'll do the doots uh, it was kind of a bad luck shot because it was the first hit. I just poop. I know yeah, about it's... bad luck first hits, too, let me tell you. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things we talk about on this show uh, pretty regularly is, like, how this season is so strange because you have those builds that were ready for the original, uh, you know, record- recording date. And then the quarantine hit and uh, everything got pushed back. So those teams had months and months and months and months of time to work on their robots, think about their robots, make new attachments for the robots. I mean, you look at teams like, you know, Craig Dandy's team and and the Mobot uh, fellas, they they put so many attachments on that bot during that time period and so many different wedges and so many different configurations because they just had the time to think about it. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you have teams like Tracer where they were, you know, literally building it in a month. Yeah. It's a very different set of problems and challenges that everybody has to deal with
4: and i have done the, the short turnaround build a couple of times like having five or six weeks to to turn around a complete heavyweight robot and it's brutal like full credit to every team who showed up with a robot that worked like good job that is not easy
2: yeah absolutely absolutely um all right so moving on to your uh crowning jewel of the regular season i mean this was a match that so many people were excited to hear about and didn't know that we wanted until we heard it was happening um hijinks versus chomp i mean how cool is that so cool uh, so happy to see it i mean always great to see chomp in the box always great to see hijinks in the box hearing that you guys are going to fight each other the way that the the show kind of um presented the match and booked it as like you know, you and Zoe, Zoe having so much mutual respect for each other and being fans of each other, I thought was really cool. Um, a great way to present it, you know, not the, the kind of made up drama that occasionally happens on these things. Yeah. Um, so, you know, tell us about when you heard this fight was going to happen and what went through your head.
4: Uh, I think it was for us, it was a little bit aspirational to, <laughs> to take on, you know, one of the legends and uh you don't often get to to choose who you fight you, like production will ask you if you have a grudge match you want to get out of your system and they'll take that into consideration uh,
3: sure. but you
4: don't always get what you want certainly and uh, they have their primary obligation is to make the best show possible and to make the best matchups possible, so we weren't sure that we were gonna get the chomp fight until like yeah, it's like two a m uh and I had my phone on because I <laughs> nerding out all the time um yeah, Zoe and her team, they are amazing. They are, they are true innovative engineers. They push the envelope all the time. They are always, always doing better, doing more. Uh, and the precision with which they build is, is absolutely enviable. I, they're amazing. So yes, yeah, for me, going up against Zoe Stevenson and Chomp, this is very cool. Uh, yeah, I was just, I was so excited. I was also kind of, I was also kind of scared. Like I'm not not scared. Like I'm not you know, scared. But I mean, you'll notice that during the fight, uh, our armor was more than double thick because we had oh, uh, sorbitane in between all of the armor panels, and we basically doubled the armor. We had our AR four hundred armor on top, and then we had sorbitane, and then our aluminum alternate armor on top, and then on the head of hijinks, another like squish of sorbitane all around, and then we added an additional armor plate. Uh, which is the 1095 high carbon steel <laughs> armor. And let me tell you, we refer to that piece of armor as our fan service armor. If you have ever unironically suggested using sword steel on a robot, that's it. The 1095 high carbon steel. That was yep. for you. That was for the fans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and well, what yeah. is this,
2: what is the material you were putting between the, between the plates?
4: Uh, Sorbothane. Sorbothane is a. Yeah, uh,
2: describe that. What is that?
4: Yeah. That's the best way to describe it. It is, it's a rubbery substance. It has about, I don't want to be gross, but if you've ever like slapped a, a like a, a huge steak, if you've ever just like slapped a fatty piece of meat, that's what this feels like in your hand is a, it's a very interesting texture. Um,
2: How do you spell and, that? Hold on. I want to look it up.
4: <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, S-O-R-B-O-T-H-A-N-E. Oh, they make shoe insoles out of it. Yeah.
2: Oh. Viscoelastic
4: urethane polymer. So this is designed to be a shock absorber. That's that's the yeah. job in life. And yeah, you might find this on your on your insoles. But w- the chunks that we were using, thank you McMastercar for delivering to us on site, because this was a, a, a rather last minute addition to the robot but it was basically like one-inch thick pieces that we had cut down into like two-inch wide segments, and we had this in between all the armor panels with the, with the hope and aspiration that this would absorb impacts from the hammer. Trump is known to have a deadly hammer when the robot is 250 pounds. When it's 500 pounds, oh, Lord, she coming. Wow. So we wanted to be super prepared for the kind of damage they can do. And also, also Yasha, uh, he is uh, so, so precision on the hammer I think you probably saw on social media, me post up a picture of the head after the fight. They yes. landed a couple of hits. They, the weapon got down into our weapon at one point, And before that, they landed a hit on the head a few millimeters away from our safety slot. This is a critical safety feature for the robot where we put a hardened steel pin into the weapon stack to prevent the bar from spinning. And we use this to safely power up and power down the robot so that we know that the bar can't move. So we have to have this hole in the top of the armor. And they almost went in the hole. And it's like two inches wide. How did you get that close? Oh, my God. (laughs) Two inches of the the entire robot is vulnerable. And that's what you almost got.
2: This is the team that, you know, essentially one shot killed Bite Force's weapon by taking out that chain. Yep.
4: (laughs) I remember that. I remember that.
2: That's... Uh, pretty cool that's pretty cool i mean like y- you have to show chomp a lot of respect if you're going to go in there against them otherwise they uh embarrass you so Absolutely. yeah that's really cool that you put in so much like last minute work on site um to make that happen so like w- when you guys kind of did your calculations what was your percentage what did you think uh your chances were of winning this fight
4: um well we had seen the gamma nine fight yep uh, that had happened, and I think we felt we had at least even odds. We, it was at least fifty fifty that we 'd be able to take this out. what we, what we weren 't really sure about um, the other robots that had thought chomp uh, were not horizontal spinners, we did not know the strength of the steel skirt that protects the legs yeah. that, was an, that was an unknown variable, and we hadn 't gotten up close with Chomp. Um, because of COVID, we were on completely other, other sides of the building, other sides of the pit. So we didn't really have a chance to go, like, check it out and see what the, what the deal was. Um, we had just seen, like, pictures online and we had seen their social media posts. And it's such an intimidating object. Um, knowing that it was 500 pounds, so double the weight of our robot, uh, we had to pack a lot of energy into the hits in order for them to do anything meaningful, obviously. So... We had the strategy, unlike the other fights where we went in tail first, Orion took his time and spun up full, and then kind of did probing hits to see what was going to happen. He mm-hmm. was trying to entice them to fire the hammer and then make a hit. While uh, <laughs> they one were shot. reloading, basically. Right, yeah. Uh, obviously, because we are on two fast wheels, we have more maneuverability, but the, the turrets operates independent of the legs and it turns very fast. Yeah. That's going to so scary.
2: Cause you think you're like outmaneuvering them and they're like, Nope, I see you.
4: Right. They were on us the whole time. So it's not like we could escape the hammer at some point. We just had to be like, all right, let's go do it. Um, and we, we got, uh, we got a couple of, what in the order of operations? I think there was one hit where the blade just kind of snuck under the skirt a little bit. And then there's another hit where, the blade goes direct contact with the skirt while we're basically spinning full, and the skirt starts to deform a little bit. And I think it, it broke away from one, uh, like one of the standing pieces inside that hold it in place.
2: Yeah, one of those like standoff I- mounts that they custom yeah. milled out of aluminum. Yeah,
4: yeah, exactly. And at that point, I think Chomp was sort of leaning toward the leg that had taken the hit. Uh, oh. <laughs> there was one beautiful moment where the hammer had fired and Chomp had lifted a little bit and we went directly under Chomp. Oh, oh boy. I think about that a lot. <laughs> think about that moment. <laughs> and then we'd, uh, we'd also talk to them in the pits a little bit or not the pits rather, but uh, backstage we're like, Hey, so, you know, how, how, how do you feel about this? How, how are you looking? They're like, yeah, we're good. Yeah. We're, we're ready. You know, just, if it if it looks like the legs have stopped moving, maybe maybe don't keep hitting us. We're like, yeah, fair. That's a fair thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but those legs they kept they kept uh, doing the doot, um, got them down in the corner, and then at that point it looked like they were not going to be able to get up, and so uh, that was it. But honestly, like I have to go back and watch the fight. My memories of it are not as clear as like watching it again it's like while it's happening it's just so exciting there's just
2: of course it's fire sure. coming
4: out yeah at one point Hijinx disappears into a ball of flame in front of the robot it's like <gasps> oh yeah. there's a psychological impact of watching your robot disappear in a ball of flame it's a thing
2: yeah i'm sure I, and not only that but uh, you know the strategic like tactically you can't see what you're doing you literally can't mm-hmm. see what you're doing
4: um, yeah
2: man that had to be so cool. I mean, I don't know anybody in this sport that doesn't have just mad respect for everyone on that team. So it had to be like so many emotions to be able to go in there and fight them in the first place and then actually pull out a win like that had to feel so cool.
4: Oh, yeah. And and when that hammer falls, like you can feel it shake your bones. It's, it's a lot of power.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, original chomp, or I guess second generation chomp's hammer was scary powerful. And now mm-hmm. they've got so much more weight to work with. I mean, that's just so, uh, that's it's impressive. Um, all right. Now on to less happy topics. Let's talk about hijinks versus uppercut. Um, yeah. So I had you guys winning this fight. I was like 100% convinced in my head that the physics just didn't work out for uppercut um and boy it did not go that way at all um so like what were your thoughts going in what were your thoughts as far as like how the physics kind of matched up between your weapon and theirs and uh you know what ended up at, what did you end up learning post match i guess is the best way to mm. describe like what, what what did you come out of this thing going huh oh that's what happened okay
4: yeah I mean, uppercut is is no joke as a robot to take seriously, and we did to the best of our ability uh, prepare our robot to take this robot seriously. We also had like pep talks in the pit, like, "Look, this robot's gonna it's gonna hit hard. It's gonna knock us over. Uh, if we go the full three minutes, we're probably gonna have a day of repairs ahead of us. So get ready. Like, get a good night's sleep. This is gonna suck a little bit. Like, it's gonna be awesome, but it's gonna suck a little bit." Uh, I going into the fight, I was. I was very nervous. Um, I always want to believe that we have a chance to win. You always have a chance. But cut the serious robot. And we had witnessed them eat another robot completely out of the arena before we fought them. They, they chucked Gemini completely out. Uh, the one thing I, I thought we were going to have over them, um, the gyroscopic procession on their weapon is pretty substantial because it's large and it's spinning vertically. And yeah. it makes it difficult for them to turn, turn quickly. Like, they can turn in place quickly, but they can't turn and drive super quickly because the gyroscopic procession kind of makes them want to go up on one wheel, as we've seen. So it's a challenge to drive uppercut, and Alex Satori does it very well. He's very attuned to his own robot. Um, we were hoping the articulated wedge that we had on the tail was kind of meant for vertical spinners, and it worked really well in the Quad viper fight. And it worked really well in one of the Bounty Hunter fights. Again, I hope you're watching Bounty Hunters. Won't spoil anything for you. But it did not work at all against Uppercut. Uh, their, their front plow, the horizontal attachment, got right under it. And we didn't think that was going to happen. The point of the articulated wedge is to always be in contact with the floor.
3: Right. Um,
4: but their plow got under it. And um, they hit. There were two contacts, like pop, pop. In the first contact, our, our weapon went into their weapon, left a gash across the center of their bar. And in the second hit, their weapon hit ours from beneath, from below. And that second hit sent the whole robot flying. To give you an idea of the energy behind that hit, I think Uppercuts posted up some photos. Uh, the entire <laughs> 44 inches of three-quarter inch thick AR-500, which is a steel that does not like to bend. It's all bananaed up on one side, permanently deformed. But not just that, the deformation that it fell into only tells part of the story. The blade deformed so thoroughly that the end of our bar made contact with the bottom of our robot. So that flexed several inches. The paint exploded off of the top of the bar in a a sort of like fractal pattern. Like you can see the energy moving through the bar by the way the paint is blown off. And there's a blue streak where our bar made contact with our own robot. So <laughs> you can imagine this is literally a three quarter inch thick You know, tank armor. This is the armor that they use. If you go to like a shooting range, this is what's behind your target to make sure the bullets don't escape. This yeah. is serious material. But one of the members of Uppercut actually said it very well. Like, the amount of energy that we've been able to pack into these robots over time has been increasing but the material science for the steel is still the same as it was 20 years ago. It's still a crystalline iron structure. You can alloy it, you can harden it, but it is still steel. It's still going to behave this way. So I'd say considering the amount of energy in that hit that an entire 250 pound robot went into the air (laughs) and this material deformed permanently, that's, that's a lot of power. One thing, um, and of course I didn't want that to happen. Of course I didn't want the robot to leave the arena. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was, and I think everyone has pointed out like my face when it happened, it's just this face of like shock. Like why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and if it hadn't gone that way, if, if we had, if our weapons had made contact in a, in a different place in the arena or if we'd been facing them differently it's impossible to say how the match would have gone, but I'll say the, uh, the way in which the robot was hit, also, it did reveal a fabrication error in the tail. That's, that really is my fault. And uh, what had happened was, uh, in my, my former workshop in Santa Rosa, there was sort of like no heat, no HVAC. And a lot of times through the winter, I have to sort of throw the door open and keep welding, even when it's cold, even when it's raining. Most of the welds on the robot get a little bit of preheat, or I'll use the root cast to heat up the two pieces of material before I go in for a nice big thick pass
2: yeah. um, or I
4: do multi-pass. So I'll, I will, in the case where there's a, a nice wide fillet, Orion is very good at designing uh, weldments for me to work with. So in the case of a nice wide fillet, I'll go three or four passes to make it like a nice, proud, clean weld on the tails. The tops of all the tails have this really nice thick weld. Uh, and on a couple of the tails, the sides went in cold, and I didn't, I didn't see that uh, when I was welding that together. It was like you know, February, cold outside. Uh, I, I just messed up. So on the tail that was in that fight, you can see the the tail sort of bent up a little bit. One of the welds split.
3: So immediately uh... after the fight, I'm
4: like, oh, you know what we should do? We should inspect all of the tails like right now. You now, sure enough, there was at least one other tail that definitely had. Uh, like a cold weld right down that seam. Like, well, we got to fix that. So even though we were out of the tournament, I took the other four tails out to the Lincoln electric area. Thank you, Lincoln, for always sponsoring BattleBot. Um, And I cut into the welds on all four tails and then welded like basically a bridging bar across that part of the tail so that it was a complete weld, like 360 degrees. Yeah. And we never had that failure again. It never failed the same way. Um, if we had stayed in the fight or if that particular failure hadn't happened, I have no idea what would have happened. Uh, the, we just can't say for sure that we would have won against Uppercut. I want to believe it. I want to believe. But, I mean, we have to take Uppercut seriously. It's a very good robot. And that there was no way that wasn't going to be a hard fight for us.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was going to be a hard fight no matter what. I mean, Uppercut really has shown uh, their power kind of in sequence over this session First, throwing the you know 225 robot pound robots completely one of them completely out of the arena and the other one just all the way across the arena diagonally yeah um, you know and then they were like oh we can do that to bigger robots too when they did the same thing essentially to you guys like that that robot is scary this year for sure yeah <laughs> um all right so we want to get into listener questions um, so the first one is one I'm really excited about. So two young builders, April and Jasmine from Team Glitterbomb. Which if you haven't been following Glitterbomb on social media, uh, you should check them out. It's cool robot. Um, they would like you to know. They would like to know why is hijinks themed after an owl, and where did the color scheme th- come from?
4: Ah, oh, well, um, so if you've been following along the grand saga of hijinks uh, when Orion and I set out to build a new robot, it was actually going to be the new Scorpios. We were going to keep like the Scorpios name and we were going to seeing the robot like Scorpios. Uh, there's even a render where it has like a scorpion tail and it has wheel guards <laughs> that look like claws. Uh, so it, it was going to be a scorpion, but um, BattleBots was like, yeah, that's, we love the idea for your robot. We love this concept, but it can't be Scorpius. We wouldn't like Scorpius to remain a top attack robot. That's what fans know it as. And that's what we think of when we think of Scorpius. So yeah. we want your robot. It'll, it'll be great, but you got uh, to, be, you have until Monday. This is on a Friday afternoon. Like you have until Monday to give us new renders, showing what your robot can be. It was like, Oh, ho, ho! all right. So we threw out a bunch of ideas. So this is like me and Orion and his partner, Adrian, sitting in the kitchen like drinking a lot of coffee and just like making jokes with each other, getting punchy. Like, okay, what's the robot going to be? What's kind of like, what does it look like? It kind of looks like spaceship. It kind of looks like, it kind of looks like a bird. So we went through a bunch of different birds. Like at one point we we're looking at the secretary bird because it's just a really cool looking bird, but we yeah. couldn't figure out a way to make secretary birds sound like a cool robot name. <laughs> 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 like, all right, we'll, we'll pin that one for later. Uh, One idea that I liked a lot was kestrel. The American kestrel has like a blue and orange wing pattern. It's a very beautiful bird. It's a predatory bird. Plus there's this meme about a kestrel attempting to steal dinner from a Harris hawk, a much larger bird. And the caption is uh, the the risk I took was calculated, but man, am I bad at math and like jokes like that started to creep in. Like we started looking at memes and things that were just fun or funny. And I was wearing a t-shirt with an owl on it. And it was like this, psychedelic 80s like synth wave it says owl yeah i think you can buy this t-shirt online and i i love owls and we were definitely wanting to move away from blue and blue and orange we want something that was going to be visually very different from Scorpios. like if it's not going to be Scorpios, then it should be nothing like Scorpios. yeah so like let's do pink let's do yellow let's do ooh, cmyk is great uh as a printmaker i love that uh for a color palette and the owl kind of came in like it's a predator. It's a cool looking bird. There's a lot of variety to them. Like we can make a lot of jokes about this. We can make a lot of puns. And I know that the Brits will love that. <laughs> so we wound up going with the owl. And then the aesthetic of the robot really coalesced around this instead of the other way around. It wasn't like one cohesive idea and then everything came together. It was more like all of these little ideas started popping up. And then we started seeing um like cool things out in culture uh obviously uh, athena and minerva are really symbolic you know athena the greek goddess of strategic combat she's also represented by an owl i'm like well that's just kismet like that works perfectly and minerva is the greek version of the same goddess so we're like this is perfect this is great let's go with it send it <laughs> and thus we have an owl
2: uh, yeah, and it's great. I I think everybody really likes the theme. I also really appreciate that you guys color coordinated with uh, your sponsor Hypershock to make sure that you, um, honestly, your two bots could be on a tag team together.
4: Oh, that would be so cool!
2: Right, like aesthetic speaking, idea. like the colors are they they are uh, of the same spirit. You know, you can <laughs> you could yeah. be on the team together. I love it.
4: Yeah, that team is so stylish. I really feel like in a lot of ways they have set a very good benchmark for what you present as your, not just your robot, but your whole package. Like, who are you? What are you about? How the entire, like they check every box on the way in. I I love them to pieces.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you guys uh, 100% are following in those footsteps. You are a very stylish team. Uh, oh, right you. down to the uh, the shorts, uh, which have made quite a splash online right now. From what I I don't remember which teammate it is, but uh, uh, his shorts have gotten quite a bit of compliments online that, lately. Is, that, is, that
4: is Tim. Tim undeniably has the best legs on the team. Tim yeah, was a an elite athlete in his younger years, like track and field. Ah, um, so, that yeah, those
2: runners' legs. Yes. Uh
4: huh. He gets to show off the gams. <laughs>
2: I love that. Um, all right, so let's go into our next question from Mario Cast, who wants to know what type of motor drivetrain is being used in Hijinx now? Are you planning on using that again next season?
4: Uh, for the drivetrain, right now we have the Castle 1515 brushless, and we're using the Mamba Monster X controllers. Um, I'm going to tell you, we're not coming back with that. And the reason why is that in later fights, after we had resolved the mechanical issue in the drivetrain, we started having electronic issues. And in particular, mm. uh, I don't mind telling you this at all, because if, if you're out there thinking you want to build this, this is good information to have. We started blowing capacitors on the motor controllers in later fights.
2: Oh, that's and That's, frustrating.
4: that's, uh, that's very frustrating. And we weren't sure <sighs> Were we you guys sure like pushing them to the was... limits
2: or, or were you well within spec?
4: Um, I mean, we <laughs> were theoretically like within spec, but there's no spec for battle bots, honey. There's no, right. we're never doing what the manufacturer wants us to do with the stuff we get from them. <laughs> like <laughs> they use us for R and D because we, we do extreme things with their motors. Uh, but in this case, It it wasn't really clear if the issue was temperature building up, which can happen. We did have fans on both of the drive modules, uh, or if we were just drawing so many amps from getting into, like, accidental pushing matches with our robots. Our hijinks is never meant to be, like, a pushing robot. That's not its job. So we don't put a lot of pushing power in the drivetrain. It's just meant to kind of move around fast and basically be evasive and be maneuverable, not be a plow. Um, and I and that may have been part of the issue is that we kept getting into pushing matches with other equally powerful robots. So the drive did okay uh, all the way through, ish. But at the end of each fight, we'd see like most capacitors leaking and that one's blown off. So how do we resolve that? We've done some testing in the postseason. Obviously, like solution one. Well, what happens? If we just add more capacitors to it. Like, is that a good enough solution? Um, but ultimately we are beefing up everything in the drivetrain. Uh, it's not locked down yet design wise, but we are going with a larger gearbox mm. and we may be swapping out the motors for something, uh, a little bit, a little bit beefier, maybe going with an outrunner instead of an in-runner. Um, we need to test what we have on the bench right now before I can give you a definitive answer, but I'll tell you for the speed, I did like those motors, but for the durability, the ESCs didn't really come through for us on this one.
2: Yeah. Well, that makes sense. I mean, that's why people make custom-made ESCs for, you know, combat robotics. Um, Charles has got a whole little side gig out of it. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, All right, next question is from Victor Dyson. Uh, You already answered part of this question. He asks, what material is Hijinx Blade made out of? So maybe you can remind us of that. But uh, the question I'm most interested in, how heavy is that thing?
4: Ah, yeah. So we have the two bars. We have the, the long bar and the stout bar. And soon we'll have an extra stout bar and (laughs) I want to make some like some fun merchandise around that. But um, both of the current bars are made of three quarter inch thick AR 500. Um, AR 500 is abrasion resistant AR. It is a high carbon manganese steel, but the secret sauce for AR steel is in the heat treating process. That's what makes them very resistant to abrasion and very resistant to like bending other shearing forces. It's very strong steel as far as steels go. Ah, uh, what was the, rest of the question?
2: How heavy is it?
4: Oh yes, uh, they—they're about sixty-eight pounds each.
2: Wow, that's not as heavy as I thought. I thought you guys would be in the like seventy-five-ish range.
4: Well, I mean, kind of—you know—bear in mind we are fighting the great fight against moment of inertia with right. the bar. <laughs> so. We did, we had a version in CAD uh, in simulation that was over 70 pounds and we're looking at the the amount of energy that we need to be able to spin that up quickly. is probably going to be, uh, a lot more than what the motor we were running was going to be happy doing consistently. Um, so we, we set the mark for the, for the bars. Like we'd like to aim for about 70 pounds and then come in under it as much as possible. And we wound up with a design that's roughly like 68.1, 68.5. It's right in that range. So we, we kind of hit the mark on that. So great job to the team. Great job to Orion. Like, knock that one out of the park.
2: Um, all right, big deal team member, Brandon Bennett Young, who lives in uh-huh. Maryland and is currently attending the University of Maryland, has a three-part question. First, which state flag is the best and why is it Maryland?
4: <laughs> okay. So he's right. It is Maryland. And it's because it doesn't have any like weird text or obscure Latin logos on it. It's just like color fields. Uh and it it looks great at a distance. It's kind of medieval. Like you could recognize this flag across the battlefield, which was, you know, a lot of the point of the flags back in the day. And that's why it's the best. Because if you see the Maryland flag, you know what it is. There's no question. <laughs> also, yeah, I went to the University of Maryland, so yeah. <laughs> We're <at> home, terps. <laughs> oh,
2: I love how big the feelings are about this. That's great. <laughs> um, all right. His next part of his question is, if I remember right, Hyjinx uses an in-runner and high redu- higher reduction gearbox, not the more common out-runner and low reduction gear train, what made you go with that design and what did- lessons did you learn while to- tuning it?
4: Well, uh, he's, um, that is correct. That is very accurate. Uh, part of the reason why we went with these smaller motors is because the, the volume inside of the wings on hijinks is very slim. Yeah. And we had to package something like a twin drive module on each side uh, that was the length, width, and height appropriate for the space claim for the motor. Like, we can move battery packs around a little bit. We can move wiring a little bit. We can move electronics a little bit. But at the end of the day, the motor had to fit front to back in parallel to the wing or not parallel, I should say um, be parallel to the end of the wing. So perpendicular to the length of the wing, if that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. And it is, a, it's a high reduction gearbox. We also have two stages of gear reduction at the gearbox and then at the, uh, from the old drive shaft, the driven shaft coming out of the robot. And it was really difficult. I'll be honest with you. It was super difficult to get all of that packaged inside of the wing and there's even, if you look at the undercarriage of the robot, uh there's a space where there's a laser cutout on both ends of the wing that allows the chain to dip just slightly below the actual volume of the wing. And then uh, to close that off, uh there's a another oval basically of seal that I've welded on and then ground very flat and very flush so that it's very smooth. But there are like we had to modify the chassis to make sure that the drive modules would both fit and that the chains would not make contact with the bottom of the chassis. That was just a real challenge packaging that into such a small space. Um, Now, since we're redesigning the robot around all the things that worked well, um, we're opening up that space claim a little bit in terms of width. So there are more options available to us now than we had last year. And that's what we're going for. We're uh, something that is a bit a bit beefier, a bit more durable. And that will be a bit more reliable.
2: And I'll bet easier to service, just because you'll have a little bit more volume in there to get around.
4: Yeah, I I say like one of the winning ideas is always like module objects as much as possible, so that when you want to, you don't have to like take the entire drive module apart in the robot to get the pieces out. You take the drive module out as one piece and set it on the desk. It's so much better.
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and if you're Warhawk, you can ship them in in your carry-on bags when you're going. To
4: <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, Okay, so third part of his question. Um, How did the chassis design fare from all of the impacts, especially the impacts against Uppercut?
4: Well, actually, the chassis came out of the Uppercut fight uh, totally unscathed. It was in perfect shape. Um, It has, you know, the the front of the robot is sloped upward a little bit, and that's directly to counter the way that uh, vertical spinners tend to attack. Of course, they hit the weapon and not the chassis. So, you know, lights out. But uh, the chassis did fine in that fight. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to direct you again. Please go watch Bounty Hunters because there's a fight in Bounty Hunters with another really hot, hard-hitting robot, another really well-seated robot in Bounty Hunters. And that was a real test of the chassis because us and that robot, we were doing body hits back and forth. Right. And there's, there's a point where you can see a little piece of the chassis on, on the le- left wing peel open a little bit from one good impact. And it's like, oh, no. Um, I'd say overall, uh, for all of the fights, the chassis was a total champ. It took extremely little damage. Uh, some of the top armor panels took a little bit of damage here and there. So we'd like swap the, the armor on the head back up, swapped out once or twice. Uh, but the chassis itself did a beautiful job. So we're keeping a lot of that design. Uh, And what we're really changing is I mentioned earlier, there was a fabrication error on my part in the tail. We're also changing the way that the tail attaches to the robot to strengthen that a lot. Uh, And part of it was the bounty hunter fight where we, (laughs) where we were doing body shots with this other robot. We came out of that fight with like a lot of ideas for how to make the robot stronger. (laughs) So that's, that's one worth watching, but um the tails are going to wind up being a little bit shorter when we come back, and then the tail attachment area is gonna wind up being a little bit wider and a little bit longer. So we'll have some good changes. It'll be it'll be a, it'll be much stronger.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, the we have a lot of fan questions about kind of the updates for hijinks 2021. It sounds like you're in the process of kind of digging your way through that right now.
4: Oh yeah. We started designing like Hijinx 2021. Um, orion and i were driving like a truck and a car and we had uh like the hands free device so we're talking the whole way from la back to oakland we're just talking about all the things we want to do on the robot so that was like the beginning of the design process was like the drive home
2: when it's all still fresh yeah yeah that makes sense noel Villegas, he had a few questions but this is uh the one that you haven't answered yet and i think it's the most interesting. So you've been on some teams, right? You've been on uh, Scorpios, and you've been uh, you've competed with a giant burger.
4: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so he says, "Which former teammate do you want to battle the most?" And then he puts yeah. in parentheses just to make sure that we all know with your bots. I mean,
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. Well, I'll tell you what. Let me uh, let me finish like locking in all of the the iterations on this design before I tell you that I want to hit like one of one of the best robots in the field right now, <laughs> 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 um, because there's really only one still playing the game, and that is the Scorpios. And Scorpios is nah, Scorpios is no joke. We built Orion, designed uh, me and the team, in Orion like we. We built a good robot. Zach drives the robot really well. Diana controls the weapon really well. They have gotten a lot of practice, and they've continued to iterate and develop on the robot. They, they're, a, as far as I'm concerned, they're a top tier team now. You just can't take that from them. They've done so well. Yeah. Uh, and they, been... uh, so this is not a spoiler. They, they brought home Tombstone. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, of course. With flawless driving, by the way. I mean, just like <laughs> flawless, flawless, yeah. flawless driving. They, they really, you know, after that match on this podcast, we were singing their praises for way longer than we should have. <laughs> we went well over our time for talking about that. <laughs> We were so pleased with what they were able to do.
4: Yeah. And of course the front ledge on Scorpios is designed very specifically to counter horizontal spinners. So this will be a very difficult fight. So let, let me get another season in before we do that. That'll be great.
2: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Here's Alexander Archer. He always gives us some really excellent questions. He has a few good ones for you. How does it feel being a captain of your own team this season, instead of just being a teammate on an existing team?
4: Oh, um, it's, it, it's been interesting. Um, in season three, uh, a lot of the things that a captain would do for the team, like I wound up doing because uh, I had the time and, in a sense. Um, I was the one person on the team who had been freelancing, so I was able to like cancel or delay uh, a lot of my freelance work and then take on larger portions of the build and larger portions of communication. So I, I felt like I was really prepared for what this was going to be. Like I had it in my head, like, yeah, I know how to do this. I've done this before. Yeah, yeah. more or less. Yeah, you know, not officially, but like in the behind the scenes,
2: you've done um, some work in that regard. I've done yeah. some
4: work, uh, and then working with Scorpius, I'll be honest with you. Um, everyone on that team, they're 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 good. Uh, I feel like I became a better builder because I got a chance to work with uh, with Scorpius in season four. It was a really good experience for me, and I still wasn't totally prepared for all of the things that I would need to hold in my head and be on top of at all times. <laughs> and I, I got a lot of support from my team. I got a lot of support from Orion because he's been around this game a very long time. He knows what he's doing. Yep. And, and we had a lot of good conversations about it. And he also like, he fully allowed me to just come to him for advice. when I was like, Orion, oh, I don't, I got this thing. What do I do? And he was like, Hey, you know, I've been there. Uh, so I'd say for the most part, um, my experience being a captain, very wholesome. But it, it is very wholesome because I have such a good team and because I had people who were so dedicated to the build uh, working with me. And it is because of their dedication and is because of their good work that we are successful. And I'll never forget that. I always, as, as often as possible, I will recognize that my team is the reason we came with a good robot.
2: Yeah, for sure. And you have a fantastic team. I mean, I think oh, they're can, wonderful. You've got, yeah. you've got some top notch talent on there for sure. Um, all right, so Alexander Archer asked a bunch of other questions that you already answered. Um, <laughs> most importantly, he asked, you know, uh, how do you think hijinks would do against Scorpios, which you told us, but he does point out that uh, BattleBots does like to pit old teammates against their old team. uh Sawblaze versus Overhaul, Ragnarok versus Monsoon, Malice versus Shatter, uh, which I thought was interesting. That That is a, a theme that they do like to go for, so. Uh, yeah it's nice that you dodged that bullet this year because you didn't want to take it.
4: (laughs) Yeah, this was, it was going to be an interesting year. I think it, it was hinted at pretty early on that Scorpios versus hijinks was going to be like, it could happen. Um, Like no one said it directly, but they were asking really, let's say guiding questions in our, in our interviews. Sure. And yeah. So like, well, it's possible, but we also have all of these other interesting fights that we could do. Like, I mean, Scorpios was kind of purpose-driven, like purpose-built to take on robots like Tombstone. There was an opportunity for that fight. And if you're going to put Scorpios against a heavy-hitting horizontal spinner, Bloodsport and Tombstone definitely filled up their dance card, right?
2: Yeah, (laughs) if their their preseason was all heavy horizontal hitters, that would be pretty ridiculous.
4: Yeah, Perfect Phoenix and Bloodsport and Tombstone. And I was like, I think they've had enough.
2: Yeah. No, <laughs> can, we,
4: can we throw them a control bot, please? <laughs> <laughs> but you never know what's going to happen in the future. I think uh, Scorpius did a fantastic job this year. Obviously, proving that they not only they still have what it takes, but you know, again, I recommend go watch Bounty Hunters because they put on a really good show in Bounty Hunters too. Yeah. They yeah. they have done really well.
2: Um, yeah, that was a really fun tournament to watch. Um, okay. So last question from Alexander Archer. And then I'm going to hand you over to my dear friend, Lindsay. How did it feel making it into the round of 32, even though you were essentially a brand new robot with a brand new collection of people?
4: Oh man, it, it was, uh, it was really incredible. Um, there was a time, there was a time when we were doing weapon testing and we had two options like on the, on the bench, if you will what we could do with the motor controllers we had the trampa 75 which we eventually ran with and we also had the new motor adp controllers and there was this moment while we were testing the new motor adp controllers uh within about 10 seconds of spin-up with our safety disc a plume of fire shot out of the robot and we had to do like a rapid safe disassembly grab the fire extinguisher and then we had to spend the rest of the day instead of testing the robot and continuing to develop the robot, we had to figure out what went wrong. And I, that was kind of a, it was an important moment because we needed that data, but it was also a very demoralizing moment because we had limited time to fix the problem. And we only had one other option for what we could do on on motor controller. And I, I'll once again, hand it to Orion. Uh, he came up to my shop. Um, we did the social distance with the mask with the COVID, but um he came up basically every free opportunity and we tested this thing over and over and over again. And I was terrified. We were going to show up with a big horizontal spinner with a 68 pound bar that didn't work. And I was having flashbacks to to some season three. And I'm like, I can't let this happen. This can't, this can't be where it ends. It has to work. We have to make it work. And Orion's like, don't worry. We got this. We're going to make it work. So, oh man, he's so good. Um, we, I've got a folder on my desktop that has like 10 different spin-up fail, spin-up fail, spin-up fail over and over again. We just would not stop testing it. And then it worked and then it started working better and then it started working better reliably. It was a whole month to get it to that point. It was a month of like almost every day working on this problem and we got it. So as far as I was concerned, when we showed up, I'm like, the robot works, my job is done. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) I mean, not really. When we go into the first fight; doesn't go our way. Get the second fight; feels great. That that was a good fight. Like we win. Um, get the third fight with Chomp; like, oh my God, this is great. This, the robot is doing everything we want it to do. Uh, and like, I think <laughs> on the ride home, like to the uh, to the Airbnb, as it were, with the team, I was like, all right, here's the deal. We got a brand new robot with brand new robot problems, but we we're overcoming every problem as it's presented to us. Uh, I really couldn't ask for more. But I am, I, I want to be in the top 16. And if we do, there will be so many prizes. There will be uh, so much love. There will be, I don't know, champagne. Like, what do you want? Do you want chocolate? I'll, whatever you want. <laughs> because it's going to, it's going to be difficult to get there. And the first step, you know, the first roadblock for us was going against the number four seed uppercut. Um, landing in the round of 32. I did not know that it was going to be a guarantee until they like literally until the moment they told us it was not guaranteed. We were just really hoping there's even what didn't make it on TV, but Chris Rose at one point asked me, do you want to be in the round of 32? And I'm just like, please, (laughs) yes, (laughs) please. I would like to be in the round of 32. Um, but there were so many good robots you know, classic robots, legendary robots, new robots that did shockingly well. Like Jockpot showed up and ran three. 0 good for them. But it was never a guarantee. And then when we got it, I was like, all right, we're in now. Now it's, now it's serious. Now the real work begins. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean the real work? We've been working on this for a year. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, it was an amazing feeling. I felt it's just so good and scared. It was just, it's everything that you want. When, when your goal is to make something better than you've ever made before, when your goal is to improve on what you've ever built before, uh, and you do, oh, it's amazing. It's just wonderful. If I answered the question, I may have waxed philosophical there for a moment.
3: No, you answered it, and it was beautiful, and thank you. <laughs> so we have a question from Joe Berger who asks... I love it when a team buds off and creates more teams. Are there any other builders you could imagine forming their own team in the near future? Oh,
4: that's that's always a good question. Um. Oh. Hmm. So it's always possible. I don't know. I don't know. There's been some good branchings as well. Like Emmanuel came back with a uh, big Dill, which is a very fun robot. Bunny came back with a uh, mouse, very cool robot. I'm not sure. Uh. Sometimes when a team splits, it's great because everyone's like, yes, yeah, build the next thing and, you know, go forth and be merry. Sometimes it's you know, maybe a little dramatic. People are, you know, splitting up over artistic differences, if you will. I'm not sure if I if I had to name a group that was going to start doing spin-off robots, but it's always possible.
3: Time will tell. So we have a, a question from Tom Brisborn who asks, what would be the dream matchup for 2021 P.S. Love Hijinx's color scheme, and I will second that.
4: <laughs> uh, dream matchup for 2021. Ooh, that's a good question. Hmm. Well, I know there are, everyone on the team has their own robot that they want to fight. And it's usually like, I want to fight that robot because I think it would be a really good fight. <laughs> like, I want to fight that robot because they're very cool. But it's a very good robot. Uh, there are some robot types we haven't fought yet. So like, I personally... When the bounty hunters brackets came out and we saw that Bronco was a possibility, I was like, Oh yes, I want to fight Bronco. <laughs> like I want to fight a Flipper. I want to see how that goes. Um, I don't think that I have uh, like Tantrum in season three was a was a, a Flipper lifter, and they did they did pretty good against us to say they won that fight. Uh, in in the new versions of the robots and Scorpios and Hyjinks I haven't fought a, a big high power Flipper. I think that would be a really interesting match. So. I don't want to say like Bronco or Hydra would probably be a good challenge. That would be a really interesting fight. I have no idea how it's going to go, but cool things would definitely happen.
3: Yeah, that would be, that'd be really cool. And uh, you could see the owl fly.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we've got aerodynamics. So that's my day job is I build small experimental planes and like, well, I didn't actually think that that was going to be relevant at Battle Boss, but here we are.
3: (laughs) So um, Jesse Mallon asks, "How did your gift for rapid fabrication come in handy during the season?"
4: Oh, very handy because we were we were kind of improvising and uh, going like making little changes between each fight. Um, one of my goals for this season, uh, little spec was going to come with us and then she had the opportunity to run her own team and I think that's wonderful. so I'm, I'm really happy that S came. Uh, and she's a wonderful builder fabricator. And I thought that she was going to be like my girl in the pits with the, with the welding. Like she was going to tell him, I was going to show her the ropes on all the AR welding. It was going to be great. But then she got to run Sporknock. I'm like, all right, best of luck. But now my plan for having a second welder on the team kind of fell through. So I was like, all right, here's what I'm going to do instead. All of the spares that I can possibly make, like anything that needs like hot welding, we're going to make them in advance. So I set out that goal to uh, have as many spares available as possible. So we weren't, you know, there are certain captain obligations that are unavoidable that take time. And it, it wasn't going to be as possible for me to spend an entire day out in like metal fabrication, the way I had for Scorpios. So I wanted to be more prepared in that sense. Um, But there were, (laughs) there were moments where we had to, to really improvise and, uh, and then check math and, and make things on the fly. Luckily, we had uh, Mark Forge was on site. They were helping us like make parts and, and make components. Um, that was very helpful. Lincoln Electric also came. They were great. Uh, we also had Tormach. They were great. They helped us out a lot when it came to um, making some like hub modifications really quickly and some parts really fast. Uh, I'd say the best part about being a rapid fabricator is that you're always thinking about how you can do something with nothing. Like how can I take this, this, whatever material that I have and make a solution right now, as opposed to, well, I'll go back to the lab and I'll think about it and I'll do CAD and then I'll send this off to the vendor. You don't have time for that. You look at what you have directly in front of you and what you can get your hands on right now, and then you make a solution. So I'd say it's a, it's a really good habit to get into like, maybe not all the time, but uh, when the time comes, being able to turn around ideas really quickly and experiment really quickly, throw things away that don't work really quickly, it's great.
3: I imagine that has to be one of the more handy skills to have uh, when you're actually at the, at the show in the, in the pit. So that's, that's so
4: cool to hear about. Um, yeah. There, I have one great example for that. We needed a tool. Uh, we needed a tool to do a very particular thing on the wheel. And so what we had on hand was, like, an uh, aluminum pipe and this, like, piece of a hub that we weren't using. So I took that out to Lincoln Electric and, like, TIG welded this aluminum tool and used that as the hub adapter. <laughs> like, sometimes you're not making robot parts. You're making the tools to work on your own robot. <laughs>
3: That's awesome. Um, Steven Egger asked, given the running joke of hiding the design of hijinks last year, can we expect you to reveal your next bot as a silhouette? before trolling everybody by painting it all black?
4: Oh, oh it's funny. It, it was actually suggested that we... Well, yeah, we skip the color scheme and just go with, like, a murdered-out matte black robot and just, like, vanish. The cameras can't see it. The other opponent has no idea what's going on. Like, put black all over the entire robot. They have no idea what it is. Uh, but, uh, unfortunately, the TV people would not appreciate that joke, uh, either from the art world or from the, the world of mechanics. So we're we're probably going to... Um, show pieces of the iteration as they are coming into fruition, because we want to always show, you know, the selection committee and the BattleBots production that we are innovating and that we are improving the robot. We want to show that we're making progress. They'd like to see that. They want to see robots come back even better than they were. Um, but there are some aspects of the design that I'm, uh, I'm just going to keep in my back pocket and I'm not going to show you. Like, we're, we have a new bar that I told you about. We have another bar that we have been planning. <laughs> so maybe we'll have more weapon attachments. Uh, the tails are gonna change a little bit. I'm, uh, there's at least one tail design that I'm probably not gonna show you until we come. so there will still be some surprises but it's gonna be as brightly colored as it is now. I guarantee that.
3: I love it I love it and I uh, after last season where I just like couldn't stand it anymore, I was like so so um, anxious to see what it was gonna be. it's like it's gonna be fun to have a little bit more mystery before next season. so yeah. uh, I' excited. Um, so my girlfriend hates robots. Co-host Matt Hedger asks, "Could hijinks go even wider next season?"
4: Well, <laughs> probably not. And I'll say, in this case, the the weight of the robot becomes the limiting creation for how wide we can go. Um, we're about as wide as we can go and still make weight. If uh, you know, adding an inch of material on either side would be adding pounds of steel. So we are probably a bit locked in the wingspan right now. And, and then other critical systems on the robot, like the entire package for the drivetrain and the wheels, uh, that is really space driven. So if we were going to try to go wider, we would have to really redesign a lot of the robot around that idea. And we're pretty wide right now. Like we're 54 inches wheel to wheel. That's a, like I'm 65 inches tall. So, (laughs) I hope already, like, difficult to move around. (laughs) Um, I think we're probably going to stick with the current width. Yeah, that
3: makes sense. (laughs) Arthur Itis asks, why don't you have wider tires on your pot? It does not look like you get much traction with those skinny wheels.
4: Oh, it's interesting. We have a couple different tread types, like higher and lower durometer tread that we we can you know swap in and out depending on what we'd like to do. We do have a preferred tread at this point. Like we've tested the smoother tread and the more knobby tread. The knobby tread is doing what we want more often. So we're probably gonna stick with that. But the reason for the wheels to be the size that they are uh, it, it there's a always a collection of compromises, isn't it? We could have gone with a wider tire, but we don't need to. There's no conferred benefit in having a wider tire. If you have a a pneumatic tire, like an air filled tire or a foam-filled tire, we would just be having more soft material hanging out at the ends of the robot, where it's, it's difficult to protect. A lot of folks have pointed out that exposed wheels can constitute a weakness. One of the ways we've overcome the exposed wheels as a weakness problem is by using a one-inch thick UHMW, which is the same you know ultra-high molecular weight plastic material that Shatter is using as a blade of armor, and that Huge is using for their wheels. Uh, we don't have lightning holes the way that Huge does. Ours are solid. And we have aluminum plate on the outside and aluminum hub on the inside. Those pieces are protected by the hubcaps. The hubcaps are themselves ablative. Uh, I've been using nylon six. We also tried PETG and uh, copolyester to see what material would do the best under impact. And nylon so far is winning. Um, But it kind of gives us a second chance. If a robot gets a hold of the hubcap, they're not getting a hold of the aluminum hub inside. So we can still keep the wheels turning. And again, I'll point you to the bounty hunters. There's a, great, <laughs> there's a great hit where a weapon goes completely through a wheel and it still keeps going. So for us, the UHMW does exactly what we want it to do, and it's packaged very slim against the robot, which is nice. We don't have soft material sitting like, further away from our, our center of mass. Uh, they're doing what we want. Um, You're going to make decisions about building your robot based on how you want to drive and how you want to attack. For us, the way that we drive and the way that we attack, these are doing basically everything we want them to do. So we're probably going to keep it just like it is. Always open to new ideas. We have looked at the, uh, the, the two-part pour around the aluminum hub. It looks like for the amount of fabrication that goes into those, the wheel that we have is about as good. I do like the wheels on Malice. I do like the wheels on Copperhead. They're great. Um, I'm not sure that it's going to be time why is profitable for us to go down that path if you know what I mean yeah yeah
3: and I just have to say I really appreciate how how thorough all of your answers are because it just like it it really shows how well thought out and how much thought you and the team have put into like every element of the bot
4: oh yeah well, uh, I know like every every single bolt on the robot is critical if it weren't critical it wouldn't make it so we we think through every piece
3: one more uh, question on the topic of wide. Uh, here's a hypothetical matchup from Nick Buckholz who asks, uh, hijinks versus me. How do you tackle that wide boy?
4: That's, it's a really tricky one. Cause like sneeze so long, such a long boy. Uh, I think the, the best thing that we could do is probably start at the center and, and kind of push them back a little bit, maybe not push, push, but like get the weapon making contact with the center so that they're, they're doing their flex and they're not uh, as in control of the drive as they would be if they weren't under strain and under impact. And then definitely go after the wheel pods individually and the wheel pods and the horizontal spinner on the ends. That's a, it's a high risk, high value target. You're going to take a hit if you go in for them but the reach on our bar is really substantial. I believe we would, as long as we're facing the right way, I believe we will always hit them before they hit us. Yeah. So if we run up in a situation where like Smee was curling around us, the correct thing to do is like turn rapidly and then go, immediately go after the weapon in the wheel pod, go after the ends. Uh But it would be a weird fight. Like I think folks have not really figured out how to <laughs> fight Smee yet. So <laughs> and they're going to come back improved as well. They're going to in their weapons. I'm sure of it. They've gotten a lot of good data from the fights they've had this year. And it's such a cool design. I have to imagine they're going to come back with something even better.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, I was kind of thinking all season was I, this is like the first iteration. I can't wait to see what their second iteration is. Um, I, I think you're right. Um, so Matt Davenport has a two part question. Why does your bot seem to fly so well? If Valkyrie were in the same situation,
4: would they fly too? Yeah, well, if you watch the episode that came out on Thursday with the first round of 32, so you've seen Hygiene versus Uppercut, in that same episode, Valkyrie goes up against Sub-Zero, and Sub-Zero does an almost super effective box rush right at the beginning of the match, and Valkyrie flies up and backwards, and for a moment, my heart stopped, because I thought they were going to go out of the arena in the same way that we did. Uh, and thankfully they bounced back and got back in the fight, which is wonderful. Cause I think if you'd seen like two undercutters exit the arena in the same way on the same episode, you should go play the lottery. Cause what are the odds? <laughs> but, you know, good, good job for them for getting back in the fight. But it, it really could have gone, uh, it could have gone that way. Tombstone was kicked out of the arena by end game. This is a thing that can happen. Um, obviously the horizontal spinners are gyroscopically stable when they first get kicked into the air. So if we get bumped up, we're going to move a little bit like a helicopter and then come right back down on our wheels. That isn't true during like a suplex. It isn't true. If we get knocked up and backward, our robot does drive upside down. Please go watch bounty hunters. It's really cool. (laughs) And, uh, it's a, it's a force of physics. Um, it does, it wants to stay in a kind of stable position because there's just so much mass moving around the axle that it wants to keep that mass level. Um, Getting kicked out of the arena was so, you know, it's always a surprise, but box rushing is a very popular tactic for folks taking on horizontal spinners. Uh, I even think uh, prior season hypershock versus Valkyrie almost went a similar way. Will Bales got himself across the arena in like a second and a half and Valkyrie went back up on the screws. It's uh, it's always a risk. And with horizontal spinners, a lot of the bodies are pretty thin. Um, Bloodsport has a very large self writing mechanism, so I think that they avoid the envelope problem that hijinks and Valkyrie and Tombstone are more subject to. Uh, so, I don't know, maybe we can look at some kind of weird large attachment. But the truth is right now, our goal is to keep the robot on the floor <laughs> as much as possible, despite it being a bird of prey. Um, whether we are in like the correct position or whether we are inverted, we do want to keep the wheels on the ground and stay maneuverable. So we're going to try to avoid getting kicked up in the air as much as possible <laughs> in, in as much as you can do so. Totally.
3: Uh, Matt Davenport's second question is, how does the shape and weight distribution influence the bot's ability to withstand powerful
4: blows? Mm. That's, a, that's a good question. Um, you'll notice that a lot of A lot of the robots are kind of brick-like, they have like a solid body, Um, some are built cut, some are welded together, but it tends to be, you know, squares and rectangles. Uh, It it feels like it's a bit easier to avoid like external damage if everything is concentrated close to the center, but you also run the risk of like if your wheels are inside and your chassis gets deformed, your wheels might get pinched and you can't move them anymore. Part of the reason we don't use wheel guards is for that exact reason. If a wheel guard gets hit and takes damage and pinches into the the, uh, wheel, then we've effectively lost drive. And that's a worse outcome than losing part of the wheel. Um, It's hard to say. It really depends on the material that you're using. Like huge, for example, its mass is spread out over a much larger area. uh, But that mass is made up of flexible plastic. And when it takes a hit, it tends to move instead of absorbing that damage. With steel, (laughs) we see a lot of cuts and gashes where it's, you know, AR against AR and they're so hard that when they make impact you'll you'll see like a spray of sparks come off of the robot and that's actually the steel itself sort of exploding out from the energy. I don't know that there's any right way to plan where the mass on the robot is to avoid damage. You can plan your mass around how you want to control your weapon and you can plan your mass around how you wanna move, but at the end of the day, no matter what you design, it's going to have to take some blows. So it's a tricky one. And each style of weapon and each style of drive is going to dictate a lot of decisions down the line. That makes sense. So, um,
3: Graham Grizz Glover III says, When is Hyjinx Hexbug coming out? I want one.
4: Oh my gosh, T- just uh, tell Hexbug all the time that you want a toy. We want a Hijinx toy. We're, we're very into it. Uh, we have made tiny models of Hijinx, well, <laughs> like the plastic ant size. Like, I'm pretty sure we can put the batteries in there. Uh, yeah, just, just um, tell Hexbug that we love them and that we would love to work with them. And that as soon as they're ready, we have uh, a scale model for them to work with. We're, we're very into it. We'd love to see that happen.
3: So you've already done their job for them. I mean, this uh, seems like a, a no brainer at this point.
4: Yeah. I'm already ready to go.
3: <laughs> so we have um, a few questions here from Mary Catherine Carr, who is a, a hygiene super fan. And so she has some, some fun questions here. She wants to know hijinks has such a strong and awesome aesthetic. What advice would you give to new teams to help them up their visuals and branding? Is it something that can be added to a robot later in the process of building, or should it be integrated from the start?
4: Uh, I think there's a a lot of schools of design that could come into conflict on this and and where you should start uh, adding your aesthetics. In my opinion, in my humble opinion, it should be incorporated into your design early on. You can't sacrifice functionality for aesthetics. But there are plenty of robots that look great that have not sacrificed any functionality. Kraken is a wonderful example of a robot that looks like what it is. It's very effective at what it does, and it's very durable, and he's improved it every year. And he's never given up on it being Kraken. I love that one. Um, In the case of Hijinx, we had some ideas about how to incorporate aesthetic features, but it took a long time. I'll be honest with you. It took a long time and some design iterations to make it look the way that it does. And the early renders are much simpler. They're just kind of like color fields on the robot of where we'd like the color to go eventually. And it took some refinement. Uh, In the case of hijinks, the wing pattern, the feather patterns, the tail patterns, all of the artistic properties of the robot are informed by its function and by its core design. So this is a reflection of what the robot is. And we didn't have to sacrifice any functionality to achieve that. I'm really just looking at the robot and thinking about what does it look like? What what do we feel is coming out of this? And then sitting down and drawing over and over until you get something that you feel good about. Uh, I think it has to come in kind of early. You have to be thinking about it the whole time. And uh, and you have to be prepared to throw away some design ideas. You have to be prepared to just say this isn't working and get rid of it. <laughs> Try something new. Um, in terms of packaging you you and yourself and your robot, it is a good idea to think about how you want to present yourself, like not just to Battle Box production, but also how you want to be received by the public. You can't control how people perceive you, but you can make some choices about who you are and what you represent and what you want to achieve. And then you can put that into your aesthetic and into your design and let it be the guiding force. So for our team, um, like we have the, the party armor, the punk jackets. That's, that's our bag. And part of this is informed by we're not a really well-moneyed team. We don't have a lot of high-dollar sponsorship. Um, the sponsors that we do have, Van Bever Brothers, Integrated Motion System, GenVase, Hypershock, uh, p 3 e Creations, they've been very good to us, and they helped us get to the round of 32, and I- I'm eternally grateful for that. But we don't actually have cash sponsorship, so all of the money, if you will, comes out of our pockets, essentially we couldn't really come up with like a team uniform and then have it made for us and go down that design route. So we had to work with what we had and myself and Maddie were, you know, East coasters. Uh, and I worked with the Baltimore rock opera society for a long time. And party armor was just such a, a fun way to express yourself. Um, Cause the only like codifying like the theme for the party armor was that everyone was going to have a back patch. So it was going to be hijinks. Like if you were in a band and this is your back patch for your band shirt. Uh, and then all of the pins and patches on it are an expression of who you are. So Maddie's pins and patches are different from mine and they're different from Orion's, but they're all expressions of our individual self. And I think that gives you a kind of authenticity. There's, there's something in this. I'm communicating to you who I am and I'm doing it in the most fun, <laughs> most aesthetically pleasing way possible. So this worked for us as a package because of who we are. It, it works for us because it's authentically who we are. I think that's also important for other teams to look at as well. You have to figure out a way to show who you are authentically. And if that means, uh, you know, if you're all gym rats and you want to be like deadlift and you all come in your gym clothes, like that's cool. That's, that's a valid theme. But you got to express something about yourself. Uh, the robots do their thing and you do your thing.
3: I love it. I love it. I I feel like that is such an insightful answer. And I I feel like, you know, the the way that you all come out um, in in your party armor, like you look like a band. I would have been going to be in high school. (laughs) And I just, I love it so much. Um, So uh, Mary says, I believe the names of the hijinks mascots were revealed on your Facebook page, but for people that don't follow, what are their names?
4: Oh yes, we have uh, we have Minerva and Athena are the two owls, so named for for the uh, Greek and Roman uh, goddesses of war and strategic combat and intelligence. So this was a it was like a sort of a kismet moment when we realized this was all coming together. But yeah, and since then, um, people have sent me owls, and I kind of love it. <laughs> I've been <laughs> into owls like a long time. I think they're a, a wonderful creature. So I've been receiving owls for the last year and it's just awesome. (laughs) We'll probably have even more mascots in the pit next year.
3: That's awesome. Um, So how is your new shop coming along and what is your favorite shop tool?
4: Uh, The new shop is, it's coming together pretty, pretty fast now. It, it was a scary moment when I found out that my shop in Santa Rosa was closing um, because I didn't have anywhere to land and what with it being COVID and with a lot of shared spaces, uh, maker spaces, hacker spaces, some of them are closing and are maybe not coming back. This is very sad, sad for communities and it's sad for individuals. Um, I got very lucky. In that when I had originally gotten to California in 2017, I made a kind of spreadsheet of all of the makerspaces, hackerspaces, and art collectives in, in the immediate area. And I had gone and like, made contact with a lot of these people before I originally got my shop at NIMBY in Oakland. And NIMBY has since moved to Davis, so they're too far away for, for me to work with again. But there were other spaces in Oakland and Berkeley uh, that were still like, basically taking on new members. So we had 10 days total to completely deconstruct and pack up my shop in Santa Rosa, which is no small feat. I mean, my welding table alone is 415 pounds and now there are two of them. Uh, and then I have a, a small fleet of welders and uh, you know, power and hand tools. Um, and a lot of the stuff, like it's durable industrial stuff, but it's also like you want to transport it carefully because like, God forbid your drill press falls off the truck. <sighs> It's a, it was a nerve wracking time, but I signed the lease on the new space and we have that running all the way through July. And it's a, it's a much bigger space. It is simultaneously more industrial and more artistic. The folks who are there, uh, they do large burning man art projects. They also do industrial light and design. Um, they're also doing architectural work like that. There's just this huge, uh, interesting collection of people and we all have our individual spaces so it isn't quite like a maker space where everything is shared we definitely have like more closed off space but there's also a large uh, shared fabrication area that's right outside of my shop door that we've been making use of and i think i think we're actually in a better position now than we were at this time last year to make more kinds of materials ourselves instead of having to maybe order out <laughs> as often so, I think we're actually in a better place now than we were, even with the old shop and I'm really excited about this this is for me, having a shop means everything to me when I thought I was losing my shop it was it, it was crushing so being able to get into a new shop space set up and then immediately start working on the robot that's been really wonderful. I'm really lucky
3: that's so cool that's 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 awesome how that worked out. Um, so a, a couple last questions here um, this one's also for Mary is there any hope of hijinks getting in on the strong merch game that hypershock has been displaying not that my wallet needs it to happen but my heart does
4: oh gosh so I'll, I'll tell you honestly who can beat hypershock at the merch game I think Orion has socks. I think he, he owns them they have arrived <laughs> last week our team buys Hypershock merchandise. That is a true story. I have a Hypershock jacket even. <laughs> uh, I would love to get in on that game. I think this is one of those things where we don't want to copy what Hypershock does, but they are inspirational and we should find our own way to kind of like get on get on that page. Uh, I hadn't put as much thought into merchandise because I was so subsumed with trying to make sure the robot, Like core to the robot, that everything about that was as good as it possibly can be. But now that we have some time, I am very open to suggestions on what kinds of merch you'd like. We do have on the offbeatrobots.com website, there's a merch link, and that will take you to our Teespring page where you can get like team gear that has team logo on it. Um, Unbranded, BattleBots has the official t-shirts at the BattleBots store, but we have our team t-shirts, and those come in a variety of colors. So yeah, we could we could do more. I would love to hear what the fans want for March because like stickers and T-shirts are always good. But like, I would love to see some suggestions for for what kinds of stuff you'd like to have. Like maybe you want a jacket with owl wings on it. I don't know. Maybe you want little wings to go on your tennis shoes. I have no idea. You tell me what you want, and I will design it for you.
3: I uh, I think speaking for Luke, anything neon, more neon.
4: <laughs> that I can do. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Um, so, uh, real quick, do you have any, uh, plans to participate in smaller weight class tournaments? Mary says she is looking for more chances to cheer y'all
4: on. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so as an East Coaster, I used to go to the Dragon Con robot battles and I I really miss that. And there's also Motorama. I w- obviously these things can't happen right now, but those are, those are my two big ones. Um, there was also Richmond bot battles here in California. Um, I really enjoyed that event. Uh, as soon as it is safe to do so, we are going to definitely be back in the little arenas because oh, little robots are so fun to drive and their the stakes are so much lower. You really get to have a lot of fun without a lot of risk when you're running the small robots. Um, but the events that are currently running like Norwalk havoc looks like it would be great fun. Uh, I can't get to the East coast right now. <laughs> Maybe this year, we'll find out. Um, but yeah, as soon as it's safe to do so, I I think the whole team has been itching to to do some, you know, sparring on the smaller scales. And we do have a couple of models of hijinks at smaller scale. I think Lilith also took the initiative and made one called Lojinx. So she's got the CAD <laughs> files for that. I may rob her of those CAD files. <laughs> uh, but also like I like making silly robots i've got a little one pounder it's called pizza in my mind it looks like a pizza box it's Aww. a bar spinner <laughs> the bar looks like two pieces of pizza stuck together it's not super effective but god is it fun
3: <laughs> i mean that's what like the lower weight classes can be all about is just having fun and man i want to see all of those especially at norwalk so i hope you are able to, to make it over there uh, at some point this year or in the future um but we we have one last question Let's close out our interview with a question from Sporknut Captain Lilith Specht, who asks, what is your secret (laughs) to being so fashionable?
4: Oh, gosh. You know, it's funny. Uh, For for most of my younger life, like, going through, like, high school and even into college, I was not a fashionable person. I would not be described as fashionable or cool or any of those things. And I think part, part of it was, like, uh... I tried to copy other people's like successful designs when I was younger. Like I wanted to be, I wanted to have friends. I wanted to hang out with the cool kids and I was just such a dork. <laughs> and I had this liberating series of events in my twenties where I, I had a couple of like pretty critical career failures early on and had to really rethink what my goals were going to be in my life and start working towards those goals uh, really earnestly. And I think in a sense, like giving up on a whole bunch of things in my life that weren't working and diving just directly into, this is what I love. This is who I am. These are my goals. This is what I'm doing. You can get on board if you want to, but you cannot stand in my way. I think that actually informed a lot of my style choices too. Cause I started wearing things that I wanted to wear and didn't really care what other people thought about them. I started wearing things that I thought were fun And I was looking at fashion that I thought was cool. And even, like, working with costumers and cosplayers, just, like, making stuff that I enjoyed. And I think that's the key to being stylish. Like, you find what you love and put that on display.
3: I love it. Well, Jen, as one of the coolest people I've ever had the pleasure of talking to, thank you. (laughs) thank you so 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 much for your time and your answers and just talking with us it's been such a blast we are so looking forward to seeing hijinks in the battle box again soon and following all the mysteries of what this next year has for the bot
4: ah thank you thank you for having me thank you for you've been wonderful this is like basically my favorite podcast to talk to you you guys are always so so lovely and the, the fan questions are so good so thank you for having me i i appreciate it
1: After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World.
3: Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the Universe. This week, we're traveling to Mars, where the Perseverance rover successfully landed and is now broadcasting photos, video, and sound back to scientists on Earth. On Monday, Perseverance sent back history's first audio recording from Mars, with wind whipping across the planet's surface. Perseverance launched in late July 2020 and successfully landed on Mars last week with a mission to look for life on the Martian surface, gather scientific samples, and package them up for analysis back on Earth. Perseverance is roughly the size and weight of a car – And it's carrying a little four-pound solar helicopter drone called Ingenuity, so it has its own mini-bot. I hope everybody had a chance to either watch the live stream of this happening as it happened or, you know, go back and watch it if if you weren't able to because what an emotional amazing feat to to, to see happen. Uh, These things always make me teary eyed. And I have to admit that like every time that I've watched the replay now, I've cried when uh, they they say that uh, they had a successful landing. Uh, It was sad because of COVID people couldn't hug or high five. So everyone was just kind of like cheering (laughs) at their station. But man, I mean, what a, what a phenomenal feat of, of human, you know, ingenuity uh to to throw back to the drone but um it's it's so stunning and it, it's really moving so i don't know what did you guys think when when you saw this
2: i watched it with my kids and they uh freaked out they thought it was the coolest thing ever oh and they had a million questions which made me look up a million things and uh yeah, it was. It, it's really cool to watch it with them. Like I remember watching space shuttle launches as a kid because I grew up down in Florida, um, so you could actually like see them from your house, and uh, it was neat to kind of share some of that magic with my kiddos.
1: Yeah, I, I just I I'm astounded by the magic that you know humanity is able to uh, continually strive for to 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 reach out there and 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 explore what's yet to be explored. You know, it gives me hope for the future. I hope, I hope that it uh, it does the same for everyone else. What's
0: uh, what's everybody's over-under on them finding life on the Martian surface?
1: <laughs> we're, getting, we're doing over-unders <laughs> on life in yeah. our... <laughs> Put pretty, some line on it, Chris.
2: Pretty under. I mean, it would have been millions of years ago in really harsh conditions where you wouldn't be able to preserve fossils super well. So... Uh under very under i don't think that it's gonna happen um but i think it's cool that they're gonna send rocks back to earth
0: mm, yeah that's
2: yeah. neat it's gonna take two more rocket launches and they're gonna have to do an actual rocket launch from mars's surface our first launch from another planet so that's cool
0: <laughs> what do you say chris Lindsay? your prediction on life on mars
3: So, wait, what did you say, Kyle, back for the other fight? Instead of going with who you think is going to win, you're going for who you're going for? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. This is, all right, so I'm going to go ahead and give them a shout-out because they gave us a shout-out, and I like this podcast. So, bots, 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 whenever they're talking about their predictions, uh, they say, all right, so who you going for and who (laughs) you think is going to win? And that's, like, how they talk about each fight. So, you know, who you're going for is who you want to win, but who you think is going to win is who, who your actual prediction is.
3: Well, I quite like bots, bots, bots as well. And in the spirit of that, I'm going for over that. We are going to find life. Uh, reality might be under, but that's okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. You know what? Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to take the, uh, the, the, the wilds, wild, like one in a million, what, one in a billion, you know, not only are we are going to find uh life, life on the Martian surface, but, uh you know, sentient life that comes up and like looks inside of the camera, that would be, that would make 2021 just chef's kiss, you know, great.
2: <laughs> chef's kiss. I just want them to go up to the camera, lean in really, really, really close and just whisper, Child LaBeouf sucks. <laughs> I don't That's- know why, but that would be the best thing ever. That would be the most 2021 thing possible.
1: And that's about it for us today. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Back off! You back off, Luke! You back off! <laughs> Craig
2: Danby did nothing wrong.
1: Always with the qua- Oh battle battle pass.